Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Oh, man. Oh, man. Do we have a heavy hitter today. Finally, the stars have aligned. Now, no longer were we two ships passing in the night. We were uh, two ships on a collision course, and I get to finally sit down with the one and only Matt Rutherford. Really, really fun to sit aboard his beautiful vessel, the research vessel. Uh, it was anchored out there. We were up in Annapolis, and it just coincided perfectly. We just shoot from the hip 100% on this one. It's essentially we're just two, two solo sailors sitting down, chatting it out, letting it just fly, hitting subject after subject there's no rhyme or reason to it hopefully everybody enjoys uh this little i don't know we just dive right in it's it's pretty cool uh matt if if you're unfamiliar with matt rutherford he essentially is the first person to circumnavigate the americas via the northwest passage in cape horn single-handed and without stopping uh he did that back in 2011 2012 and essentially from there has has started a non-for-profit called the Ocean Research Project, which does everything from monitoring salinity levels to glacial tills, all that sort of stuff, and then does a lot of plastics research. And he's actually just coming off of a, uh, a little project where they were mapping out the microplastics in the Chesapeake Bay. So he does not only solo sailing, but he's doing a lot of great stuff for uh the world i think i mean it's really his data collection and all that he spends a lot of effort and a lot of time uh doing all this and it's really it's not like he's getting paid millions of dollars to do it he's essentially doing this out of uh his own curiosity and um yeah he's just it's awesome it really it really shows to his character and the type of person he is and i wish him absolutely nothing but the best of luck going on into the future and i'm hoping that maybe he and i can actually collaborate and sparrow can become uh part of the uh ocean project or ocean research project family in some some way shape or form maybe i can start to if i can take a little bit of a uh i don't know take a take some notes from him and uh and try and live up to the bar or find that bar that he sets really really high so hopefully you enjoy this podcast and uh and yeah it's uh it's a really good one i'm super super stoked but before we start the show like i always say if you want to support this podcast it's a couple different ways to do it one you can join the patreon family and uh, sign up in the link in the description of this episode that's definitely a huge huge help Thank you so much to all the supporters who have been doing that for a long time. I wouldn't keep doing this podcast without you. The other way is through one-time donation via PayPal or Venmo. Links in the description of this episode as well. That's much appreciated. Uh, I realize that some people don't want to sign up for any sort of subscription, so I'm going to start throwing that out there as well. Is that uh, you know you want to throw Sparrow a few uh, a few bucks for some new parts, this that the other thing? Hey, have at it. I can always use the help. Boats are terribly expensive, and uh, Sparrow is 
Oh, prime example of that right now. Um, other than that, we got the merch line still out there. You can't miss that. Link in the description. And then if you want to reach out to the show and contact me via email, you can go to sailingintooblivion.com, hit the podcast button, and uh, contact the show. Those go directly to me. That's my wrap-up. Those are my ads. That's all I got. Now on to my conversation with Matt Rutherford. Yeah, I one time did a, uh, a talk in front of 500 uh, Korean War veterans. They're all old as shit, like 80 and 90. My grandpa was part of that group. Oh, really? Invited me, and they had no mic in this gigantic room. And, like, I, I mean, I was, I couldn't, like, speak the next day. I and mean, they all heard me. You yeah, know? yeah, But yeah. I was fucking screaming to get them all to hear me. So. You got to, you know, you got to project the voice uh, yeah, as best as you can. I can do it, you know. I can get loud. It's not a well, not too big of a problem. Right, so. right. Well, and, and feel free, you know, you can. Right, you can let me uh, see uh, before we get. We might want to wait a minute here because it's getting. It works for me. I'm already recording, so it's all all good, man. Oh, it's just nice to be out of that car, and uh, it's it's literally an honor to be on the boat, man. I've I've dreamt of this day. Yeah, well, welcome aboard. I've been yeah. trying to get you to come as crew. For, Cheers. Yeah, for I know, I know. Like a couple of years now, you always you'd rather work in a boatyard in Maine or Massachusetts or some shit. Rockland, Maine, baby. Well, that that is one of the funnest jobs I've ever had. I'm not gonna lie, but no, this summer I was up in uh, up in northern Michigan doing the old hat and the old water sports stuff. And yeah, it was, what it was, is what is the old water sports stuff? Oh, just running a, a water sports center and oh, okay. you know a bunch of sailing instructors, tons of boats, chaos, you know, guests up the wazoo, and I don't know. That's what I that was sort of how I sort of cut my teeth on the whole sailing thing. I learned how to sail, and then like two years later, I was an instructor, and then it just kept going and going. But hmm. the place was pretty run down. I hadn't been there in like ten years, and. Uh, not that that makes too much difference, but um, they're usually dealing with college kids that are just trying to have fun for the summer. And so, well, what are you doing next summer? Next summer, I have no idea. You yet. going to Greenland? <laughs> is that <laughs> is that your plan? Oh yeah, of course. That's what I always do. That's what I do. I go I go north. I don't know. It's going to be interesting because you know this this is the first uh, first year that I'm not launching Sparrow. So I've I heard had you, I heard you're selling her. I don't know about that yet. I, Did you put I'm, her up for sale? Thirty-five grand. That's what it's some. That was that was what I heard. Really? That's not true. No, that's not true. Oh shit! Someone told me you had her up for sale for thirty-five grand. Oh, if I could get thirty-five grand for it, jeez, that'd be amazing. No, it's in. <laughs> uh, it needs to be repowered. I need new sails. I can get away with the engine, but I don't know if anybody else could. Because yeah. I've had to dink around with it for so long. I know all its little picadillos and stuff. Right. Right. It's just an old Perkins 4108. Oh, I had my last boat out of Perkins 4108. You must be familiar with Transatlantic Diesel. Transatlantic They're Diesel. like the Perkins gurus. Oh, they're oh. Out of, they're, well, if you ever need some parts, they yeah, are, they are to... the, they're like, yeah, they know more about Perkins than Perkins. The, the secretary who picks up the phone, her name is Diane, because I've dealt with them so many times. Uh-huh. Like, she knows every single part of a 4108. Like, she could probably rebuild it in her sleep, and she's the secretary. Oh, well. Like, let alone I'll have to get that Marcus, then. <laughs> the, uh, the English guy who actually runs it. My Sabre, mm-hmm. I have a Sabre 212C, which is what would happen if a Ford Lehman had a baby with a Perkins. So it's <laughs> okay. it's, a Ford, it's a Ford block with Perkins parts, essentially. Yeah. So I still deal with Transatlantic Diesel to this day. I used to be with my 4108. Now it's with this. You can't get parts for this damn thing. You know, it was a weird engine marinized in England. Right. Years ago, like they don't, you know, they stopped making these things forever. It's just sort of that process. I think Ford Lehman might have went to Mermaid. 
I think it was for a little while and then Sabre or, you know, there's like been several sort of uh, offshoots of that of that engine. Nobody is marinizing Ford blocks, I don't think. I don't I don't know of anybody that's doing it now. It's like Kubota has kind of taken over a lot of it. Uh, oh, right, like, right, you know, right. There's a lot of variations of marinized Kubota blocks. And then you have, uh, you know, John Deere and, and John Deere were like the bigger ones. Those were the ferry boat engines we'd use down at uh, Bitter and Yakla. John Deere is what I want to repower my boat with. Really? Yeah. yeah they're, they're the, the only yellow uh, monsters. <laughs> they're the only ones out there. Um, That's good. That is making a 230 horse that you can run at full RPM for 24 hours and you could do unlimited hours. So mine is a commercial grade engine, but even then I'm only supposed to be doing 2000 hours a year on it. I did about, I don't know, 1600 this year. So I'm still under the oh, threshold. Okay, yeah. But, uh, why do they limit? Is that a limit to the next time it has to get like fully serviced? It's just like the, the amount of wear and tear they want you to put on an engine. So uh, essentially it's kind of a weird thing. Cause you don't get into this stuff with normal sailboats. Like you get a like you, you get a sailboat, you get a Yanmar or whatever, a Westerbeek or a Beta or whatever it is. Yeah. All of that is recreational grade marine diesel. They just don't tell you that and nobody really cares, you know? Yeah. And then there's commercial grades. And then with commercial grades, there's an L class, an M class, there's M1, M2, M3. There's all these variants. So when you get into like 700 horsepower diesels, you know, they're like commercial grade. And even with that, like I say, there's a lot of different variants within how heavy duty it, it is. Meaning, and what its purpose is. Yeah, like and so it's, it's fairy or if it's this, that, or the other thing. And it's how many hours uh, in 24 hours can you run it wide open is one of the things, which I never run my engine wide open anyways. Like I just hate to I do it. I couldn't even imagine doing yeah. that. <laughs> so someone will be like six hours and 24. Someone will be like 18. To find one that's 24 and 24 yeah, with right. this John Deere uh, 230 horse is just yeah unheard of. And it's unlimited hours. Basically, what they did is they took a 350 horsepower motor and and dumbed it down. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's why and it only runs at 2300 RPM. So 2300 RPM, you can run that all and day. And that's flat out. That's flat out wide open is 2300. Uh, okay. And that puts out 230 horse and... Uh, and it's basically indestructible. I think it's like a 7.5 liter or something. I don't know, some massive. Mine is 6.7, I think. The one in here. Yeah, I yeah. think that's what it is. But um, anyways, yeah, it would be... I, I, now, it does cost about $50,000, and that's not the installation. They're not cheap, man. Yeah. Not cheap. I looked, at, <laughs> I looked at trying to get a rebuilt Perkins up in Maine, and even with all the connections through the boatyard and stuff, a rebuilt one was going to be about nine grand. Even if I gave him my old one, it was just nine like, grand. Uh, that's way too much. Well, I don't know. Hey, well, knows? well, it, a rebuilt Perkins four one hundred eight should be six grand, but it depends on how they consider rebuilt. In other words, if if you were to take a Perkins four one hundred eight out of your boat, yeah, hand it to a guy, say rebuild this, please. He'll charge you an hourly thing, and then it would get up into the nine thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. But well, it, maybe that was it. Maybe it was nine grand to rebuild my engine. Or they rebuilt something else and they're trying to get the money out of yeah, the labor. Yeah, but yeah, typically, yeah. like a rebuild should be, for a Perkins, it should be about six. Actually, Transatlantic Diesel can probably get you a rebuilt one for around six. Mm. They sell rebuilt 4108s. I don't, you know, honestly, I, I, most West sales now, I think most people have like betas in there. Yeah. They're, they're the mean, red ones, right? Betas, the Westerbeek the, or the something. The only problem with the beta. Is beta uh, Westerbeek? No, no, no. So Westerbeek is red also. And red that's also. that okay. yeah, and Westerbeek, like all the old Valiant forty twos at Westerbeeks, of the uh, Pearson four two fours at Westerbeeks. Yeah. You don't see them as much anymore, but a lot of gen a Westerbeek generator is one of the better generators you can get. Like it's on par with Northern Lights 
and like oh, nothing okay. is on par with Northern Lights. You know, they're like the creme de la creme. They're crème. the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you can get a Westerbeek, which is it has about a twelve a twelve month backlog, and it's the same price, it's about fifteen grand for like a five kW. You know, they're really expensive. Yeah, and they're three cylinder, run at eighteen hundred RPM. They're they're killer, but you don't see them put them uh, Westerbeeks in boats much. Like manufacturers have kind of backed away. I'm not sure why. There was a uh, Valiant 42 used to come with a 44-horse Westerbeek, and that one had issues where the engine block would crack. And obviously, uh-huh. that's not good. Yeah. So, uh, and people <laughs> repowered, you know, when you repower a, a Valiant 42, you usually put like a 50 or 55 Yanmar. Like the 55 Yanmar is a real common. Because really, even with a 44-horse uh, diesel in a Valiant 42. You're not going to need that. Well, you're motoring at like five knots. Right, right. Because it's just, it's, but. You're going to get to haul speed. With how many RPMs on that? Well, you won't get. I mean, haul speed on a Valiant Forty Two has got to be seven and a half or eight or maybe seven because they do have that kind of uh, 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 what do you call it? You know, the, the now boats are all plumb bow, a traditional bow. I oh, guess you would okay. call it the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the length overall versus the waterline length. Right. I'm sure it's quite you know quite a difference, but um, it's got to be at least six, I would think, on a on a Valiant Forty Two. It is technically a Valiant Forty Two is a Valiant Forty. Yeah, they yeah. just added a bowsprit and called it a forty-two. It's literally, <laughs> it's literally a forty-foot boat. They just called it a forty-two. You've always loved those boats. I've heard you talk about yeah, them before. Well, when I was when I was first getting into sailing, I had this thing for double enders, you know. And part of it's like the beauty of double enders. Uh, part of it's the mystique where they're like the old Scandinavian Viking tradition because the Vikings yeah, yeah, had yeah. the first double-ended boats. Right, really. right, right. And the idea that in a heavy seas from behind you, which which you get a lot of, uh, you know, like screaming down waves in the southern ocean you know they're like the most extreme example of it really yeah you know those waves come and the stern will just kind of split the waves where my pearson my old 323 pearson that i had when i would fly down waves and you get sometimes you get that boil like on a big wave you get kind of like a boiling action on top sort mm-hmm. of or like a boiling isn't maybe the right word but you get uh maybe the top five or six feet or three feet or whatever it is, is oh kind breaking of and coming breaking down. and yeah. churning and it, it it would hit the back of the pearson which had a pretty flat large-ish uh, transom, yeah. and it would just shove me. It was like someone had a hand behind me just shoving the boat forward, yeah. and then you might broach or you need to get a drogue or whatever it is. A drogue, yeah, yeah. A drogue will solve that problem. But the double-enders, I've it had... It just curls, yeah, and sort of splits around the stern of Sparrow. I've seen that. I've yeah. been in the cockpit where a big breaker comes, and it just it's like... The ass end just goes up, and all this white water right next to you. And you're like, whoa! Yeah, yeah. That's that's. So there's that beauty. Now there are arguments that some of them have a lack of buoyancy. You know, that was an argument against some of the Cree lock designs, some of the Pacific Sea craft that they were narrower in the stern, so they had less buoyancy. So if you look at a Valiant Forty Two, they're kind of bulbous. They're they're double ended. Yeah. But the stern is more bulbous than a than a Cree lock than a Pacific Sea craft would be, or a Freya. Freya Thirty Nine is a is a great. Uh, classic sort of a double-ended boat also. Well, what, but, was, what was the one that uh, you helped uh, Brian get? Is that Hershoff Pilot House? Is that what he's on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he has um, down in the Carolinas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he has a... Um, He'll love it that we're talking about. That is about a Pacific Sea Craft. That's a... <laughs> That's a Pacific Seacraft That's pilot a, oh, house, okay, which okay. you don't see. That's a very, very rare boat. Yeah, you don't see yeah, yeah. Pilot house Pacific Seacraft. Was that the last one you brokered? Uh, no, the last one I sold was, I think it was a Little Harbor 54, I think was the last one I sold. I sold it, I got it to the point where I was selling bigger and bigger boats. I sold a Little Harbor 54 and a Taswell 58 right near the end. I don't remember which deal went through before the other one. Okay. But that's, it's funny, I, I 
got out of yacht broking right when I was starting to sell like half million dollar, you know, boats. <laughs> Just and, when you start to make some money. Yeah. <laughs> and the pandemic was coming, be, you know, and everybody was buying boats during a pandemic. So it was, just it was like, the hottest time to be a broker. Yeah. There were more boats or no, there were less boats for sale. I can't, my buddy, Mike, who was on the show, actually shout out Mike. Uh, he's up in Newport and he sells mostly motor, motor boats and stuff. But, uh, he was like, this is unbelievable. From 2020 to 2022. That might have been a Hans Christian pilot house, now I think about it. Hans Christian, with yes. With Brian, with yeah, Brian. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. I think about it, yeah, you're right. That was a Hans Christian pilot house. Pacific Seacraft, what I'm thinking, Pacific Seacraft made some trawlers, which I don't know if many people have seen them or no. They tried to break into the powerboat trawler market. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah I do remember They're kind of okay. like a 40-footer. I don't know what size they are. They're not huge, but they're... High-quality build, though. Yeah, yeah, those were good. Hans Christians are just, you know, they're 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 of the same ilk, you know, heavy-duty built sort of things. Yeah. The door on that thing, I was like 100 pounds or something, the back door to get in and out, you know, the companion way. It wasn't oh, it's a hatch. huge. It's, it's yeah. insane. It's And I don't know, you know, I we'd be, uh, Brian and I would hang out, and I, it was such a different feel to be in the cockpit and have that wall of that pilot house in front of you. I mean, you could stand there and look over it, but I'm so used to in Sparrow just being pretty much totally exposed. I just had a little foot. Yeah. And, and Valiant made a 42 pilot house. that was similar and that there's ups and downs to that, to that part of that design, you know, cause it does like, if you're going to be puttering down the ICW, you got to stand up to see over it. You yeah, know, the, yeah. the view is a little limited. Now, if I remember correctly, I believe he has inside steering, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, he has, he has both. So yeah. So in that case, it's not inside. a big deal where the Valiant uh, 42 pilot house did not have any inside steering at all. It was only outside and that was all you got. Ah, um, yeah. So, so that's does, not great. No, it's nice to have, nice to have that option. So you got to repower the boat, do new rigging, new sails. It sounds like a pretty major refit would be necessary for, uh, your West for old Sparrow. Well, I so mean, I, like, you, like I said, I can get away with the engine. It's, yeah, but it's if what? I was going to sell it, I wouldn't, I, I would, if I put the money in to get a new engine, I could probably charge another 15 grand on that boat. Cause nobody wants to buy a boat with an engine. that's all messed up. Yeah, and, and Valiants do have a, or, um, um, not Valiants, freaking West sales do have a pretty large, uh, variable with selling price. Oh yeah. Some yeah. of them are 10 grand. Some of them are the, the highest one I ever saw was outlisted, I think for like 180,000 or something. Yeah. That's not going to happen. It was, it was pretty close. Uh, yeah, did they sell it for that though? I mean, it's, they saw it not quite that, but pretty damn close. See, back when I was a broker, I used to be able to get in there and see what a boat actually sells for. It's like a back part of yacht world oh, where you can yeah, get yeah, in yeah, like right. how many days was it listed? What did it really sell for? What was the difference between asking price and reality essentially? Yeah. Yeah. But that might, that must've been the nicest West. Oh, ever. it was, it was owned by, um, Ah, I forget the guy's name, but essentially he had he had treated it like his baby, pulled it out of the water for a decade or so. And mm -hmm. and I think he contracted guys from Pacific Seacraft to completely rebuild the entire interior, everything. Oh, so wow. They stripped it completely down and actually built it because West Sales kind of they're really strong boats, but they built them. You know, they were sort of like, there you go. There's your boat. Right. Great. And uh, some you know. were factory interior. Some weren't factory interior. Yeah, but the, and... the craftsmanship of everything, they're just more bare bones. And mm. so they weren't, you know, like mine, my my old man, he uh, he refers to my boat sounding like a popcorn machine. Because every joint creaks, pops, groans. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. when it's in heavy weather, it's loud down below. It's just pop, pop, pop. But when I was on their boat, because uh, I, I got to go on it for a little while, and we went sailing and stuff, oh, my God, it's just dead silent. 
Everything, yeah. barn, everything was perfect. Well, yeah, it's really hard though to go from a boat that's like normal right. to a, a super high end boat and just feel comfortable like setting a cup down. You're like, this is fresh, perfect varnish. I can't do that on my right. boat. I don't even think twice because you know, it's just. I didn't see. I purposely did not varnish my table well. Yeah, right. No, I didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't. I actually ran out of time. I need to revarnish. Like, <laughs> you can see spots are like missing right in front of you. It's all right though. Yeah. We, I, I it do, gets used, man. This table gets used. I always go back to when I was in my twenties. I used to get fifteen foot or thirteen and a half foot Boston whalers. Loved them. Buy buy a used old crummy one and just fix it up. Fresh paint job of all sorts of everything looked great. And for the first like. It always just felt awesome. It looked awesome. But every time I used it, I had to clean it right afterwards. Every time I set something down in it, I had to worry about it scratching through the paint. And I actually didn't enjoy the boat as much until it kind of got its first bunch of dings and you didn't have to worry about it anymore. Then it was sort of like, ah, sweet. Let's hop in the boat, throw a case of beer in there and go have some fun. Was that before the sport? Series? Well, it was only have like a Boston Whaler Sport. Oh, 13, yeah, no, these are 130 the or 13-0 or whatever. I've still got a 1970-something. Is it blue? Has it got that like yeah, light yeah, blue yeah. Well, interior? Well, it used to. Now it's got... I repainted the whole thing. I think I went with more of a dark blue with white trim and red bottom. I can't even remember. I jazzed them up. The best one I had, though, was down at Bitter End. Uh, I painted it amazing blue for the michigan colors had beyc rescue down the side and it was my personal boat but we used it as a rescue boat as well felt like the king of north sound man it was great <laughs> so were you, were you up around ann arbor no no well i just i worked for the university of michigan they have an alumni family camp and that's oh, where okay i really sort of learned how to sail and stuff um, so i should have put my ohio state hat on you, no, you, you, you got God. your you got your a Michigan Buckeye. hat. You got yeah, Michigan. No, I got right? I got like two jerseys sitting in my uh, <laughs> uh, sitting in my hanging locker. Well, just, we'll just agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> hey, I think. look, I am very happy that <laughs> Michigan has a competitive team again to play Ohio State. Yeah, I heard last year doing you guys right. won. You guys uh, beat us. It was like we we won like I, I don't know what it is like. I think you beat us twice in 15 years. Yeah, or something. it's pretty rare. No, which makes it special. No, but it makes it it makes it suck because it used to be <laughs> when I was younger, when I was living in Columbus, Ohio, that game was like the Super Bowl of yeah. college sports. Oh yeah, and it was always just neck and neck. You never know who's gonna win. There were there were great games. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, maybe you walk away disappointed. There were definitely Michigan beat us a bunch of times back then. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but then it, it was, got then it just went to you guys. Well, for yeah, a you long lose the rivalry. Time. You know, yeah. it's like it's like Cleveland Browns and Pittsburgh Steelers. We used to be rivals, and we've sucked for so long. We're not rivals anymore. <laughs> now the uh, Ravens are rivals with the Steelers because we just suck too much. You know, eventually yeah, they, just, yeah. they just lose it. So yeah, hey, you know. It so, is anyways, what, it is. what you're gonna? What would you do? Like, what do you want to do? Another big single-handed thing? I know you know it's it was certainly uh, something you were pursuing quite a bit for a while there yeah well so, i was trying to figure out what the what the hell to do um well, and i you gotta I, refit the boat that's like a big thing you know it's not like well no that's i and and that was the beauty of being up in maine because now all of a sudden i had a boat yard where i had use of the cranes and all that sort of stuff and we could do whatever without a cost incurred and um so like you know, I was always able to go and take the mast off and inspect everything and rewire it, change this out, change that out and do it. You know, if it wasn't free, it was super cheap. And um, so I just kept doing that and I kept trying to do these big trips. But, man, I just kept 
you know, running into the bad stuff happening. This last one was the closest I've ever come to losing everything. Yeah, Thank been, you, sir. I've been wanting to interview you on my podcast for a while. Um, and it's tricky because we never, you know, I know it's, it's, you want to do it in person, which I get, and it's a lot Way better to do it that way. Yeah, I, I agree. But there's pizza. Yeah, and we got pizza and, and pizza and scotch. So <laughs> great uh, combination there. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there's got to be a, a, a ton of stories in there and also lessons to be learned. Um, and you went through some pretty serious heavy weather by the sounds of the last one. Did you like roll up in a part of a hurricane or something? Well, or a tropical uh, storm. Was it a name storm? That was that was 2021. Okay. I went right through the eye of tropical storm Wanda. Wanda, you right through the eye. Got your ass kicked by a storm named Wanda. Yeah, I know. I, I got know, my right? ass kicked by a storm named Cristobal. <laughs> Cristobal sounds like a French figure skater. Where was that? That was um, it was. A, I've heard you mention that before. South of Nova Scotia, between like Nova Scotia and Maine, it was coming oh, ripping okay. up there. Yeah, so it was moving fast, which is good. Sable Island territory. Yeah, yeah, right around yeah. Sable Island, and you know I wasn't quite in uh, the Grand Banks, thank God, but. But it blew, you know, whatever. It blew pretty hard. I mean, some other single-hander abandoned ship not too far from me. My dad thought it was me that abandoned ship, and then he oh, called really? the Coast Guard on me. And I was talking to Herb back then, Victor Alpha X-Ray 498 Southbound 2, which was a guy on the single sideband used to give, like, free weather forecasting, this guy Herb. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's legendary. He did it for years and years. And um, and he, like, spanks people a lot. He was, like, this curmudgeon uh, German expat living in Canada. Yeah. And and pe- some people love him. Some people hated him because, you know, he'd be, he would, like, try to call you out. You know, like, no, you're not there. You know, there's no way you made it there, like, or whatever it is. <laughs> And also it's like, who's Herb going to get today? <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's a public sort of thing. There's all these other like people crossing oceans listening to the same single sideband thing. It's one at a time. Everybody yeah, gets a turn yeah. with Herb. And he's like, Matthew, you need to call your father. And I'm like, ah, oh, like I felt like such a little kid, like like here in school. And it comes <laughs> Getting over reprimanded. Yeah, well, it just was like embarrassing. I was so embarrassed. Herb told me I need to call my dad because he called a Coast Guard thinking I, I don't know, sunk or something. <laughs> But, Dude, that's sketch place, man. Uh, yeah. That's where the perfect storm and all that. That's where the Andrew Gale went down. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I'll tell you one thing about the old Grand Banks. I went right over them when I was trying to head up to go through the Northwest Passage in 2020, and I really didn't have really detailed paper charts of the Grand Banks. Mm-hmm. But I sort of recall it being yeah, it was shallow, but it wasn't anything. I came really close to those uh i think they call them the virgins those rocks uh, i saw them i could i could see an undetailed spot on this old chart plotter that i had on the boat mm-hmm. and i was like holy cow those are like that's real shallow those are rocks i might be able to actually hit i avoided those but i remember in the middle of the night uh god it was so foggy doing a sail change as the winds were dying off and one of those big oil platforms was trying to call me because I was headed right towards them. I was up sail change, so I didn't hear the radio, but I got back down and I heard the that oil platform talking to a fishing boat and they were both trying to figure out who I was. And the fishing boat captain, he's like, I don't know. On the AIS, it says like pleasure craft. That doesn't make any sense. And then I finally got in touch with them and I had to give them five mile berth or something like that. I can't remember, but right. But you were going to go around the Americas on that one? Yeah, that was the plan. It was, it was basically yeah, was, try and go around the Americas, and then if that worked and the boat was still good, I was provisioned up to try and do the figure eight nonstop. Yeah, that would have been the shit. That would have been really, really nice. But yeah. uh, I only made it to just about well, 60 degrees north. You got north. fucked by the pandemic. 
Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. I don't know what the ice. Did you continue paying attention to the ice conditions in the Northwest Passage? It might not. No, it, it took me like another hey, okay. eighty days to get back. Because remember, that was by the time they turned me around, it was mid August, mm-hmm. or maybe late August. So the hurricane season was in full swing. And there were already ones coming up the coast. And so right. I just booked it east to get uh, over past the Azores. Saw a little bit of bad weather and then started making my way south trying to figure out what I was going to do. Because you also, at that time, it was the height of the pandemic. I couldn't I couldn't stop anywhere. Yeah, it's such a so, weird situation. Yeah, I was, uh, that was the one trip where Jesus. I, I really got a glimpse into, uh, I think, what it would have been like to be, you know, Donald Crowhurst a little bit, where you're just on this boat and you are stuck. And you there aren't really any options. Right, and it fucks your plans up. You had all these plans to do this big trip, and now you're just now sailing I'm around the with, Atlantic. With a gigantic bag of fuel sitting on the cabin wall, <laughs> like 200 gallons oh, of diesel. Yeah, yeah, I know that. And I know you, yeah, I know yeah, yeah. I thought of you all the time. I'd be looking at it, and like there'd be little bits that would, it would be like it was leaking. Yeah, yeah. But never really leaking enough where I was like, that's got to be like a real leak. Maybe it's just the the cap or something like that. But I, because I had no game plan. If that if that let go into the bilge, I would have had to have pumped it overboard. There's nothing I could have done. Right, right. It would have been impossible to live down there. I mean, it was it was. Well, Moticia used to throw you know batteries everything. Yeah, you throw cherry jugs over. <laughs> oh, I don't need this weight on my boat. You just throw cherry jugs full of fuel overboard. <laughs> Well, you know, yeah. it was a different time. I different, guess. different time, different. <laughs> I, well, hey, don't they still are? Aren't there still areas where they dump garbage out in the in the ocean? Well, yeah. I mean, it's all a a how many miles offshore? Yeah. So there's a certain yeah. mileage. Of, there's only two things you can't dump in the ocean technically. One is plastic, and the other is oil. Oil. Yeah. And of course, diesel and gas all fall in that category. But it's so many miles off, you can do glass, and then so many miles off, you can do metal. And of right, course, you right, can do right. organics. Organics doesn't matter. I'm some crab in the bottom of the ocean is going to eat your banana oh, peel God, so yeah. i mean that don't matter but um yeah that one that that would be fucking brutal for me man because like you you try to get your mind in the right place for that kind of a big expedition and then you get the boat ready when you spend you just, all your money yeah you spend all your broke. goddamn money to get to get all your side and then you're there you're ready you leave you're finally at sea yeah and then some like one in a, every hundred year <laughs> event you know we get a pandemic once every hundred years roughly yeah right, right when you're out at sea and then yeah then you can't even stop so you just drifted around you, you sailed around and drank booze and ate your food and uh, essentially I was just like, well, I got to come up with a game plan. So I headed towards the Azores and was becalmed forever in the Azores high mm. and, um, just sort of trying to figure out what to do. I went South. I was like, okay, well maybe I'll go back around the world again. And then I sort of, I don't know. I, there just didn't seem like a good point to that. And then I thought about maybe going around the opposite way, um, you know, East to West and I don't know. I think I was just aimless. By the time I got to the Cape Verdes, I was just like, I I got to get off of this ocean or else I'm going to go crazy and jump off this boat. Uh, but at the same time, it was now September and the hurricanes were just rolling. Right, that was right. that was 2020. There were 29 named storms. Oh, and uh, eventually they I was go back to a what do they do after Z? Uh, I don't know what they did. Um, yeah, because the one of the ones that I ran close to, I think, was like Hurricane Brett or something. Yeah, they start back. In the yeah, I think they the start alphabet. back. Oh, up, makes yeah. sense. Um, but yeah, I, I eventually went down to the equator, and then I was like, well, I'll head back towards the Caribbean and stay south of the hurricane line. Did that, and then I was I was so fed up by October 
that I was just like, screw it. I, I got to get back to the States because I knew I wouldn't have to check in. I wouldn't have to do anything because I didn't stop anywhere. And so I just beelined it. And for whatever reason, for about two weeks, there was a huge lull in all the storms and, and I got right through. So I was lucky. But it was, I'll tell you, it was really interesting. The doldrums always been like one of my favorite places. It's just such a weird, odd place. And the cloud formations and, and all the squalls and stuff. Right. Being in the doldrums in September, mid-September, was unbelievable. Seeing the convection stuff and the tropical waves and those those clouds literally looked like atomic bombs, perfectly white. These these towers and the, it's just all moving up, and it all just spreads straight out in every direction. I've never seen anything like it to this day. And I've been through the doldrums, I think, like six, seven times. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just because it was that time of year. There was, you know, the ultimate heat, ultimate, you know, that was the, the peak of hurricane seasons, September 14th, I think. And that was just about the time that I was at that area. And, man, I still, I'll never forget. But there'd be like six or seven of them all around of just these these perfect cylindrical towers zooming up and you're just moving fast and i don't know i got in some vicious squalls for sure but it was it was some of the most beautiful crown f- cloud formations i've ever seen in my yeah life. i've definitely seen some weird clouds in the in the doldrums in 2013 we we're doing that uh, big microplastics mapping out the eastern side of the north atlantic garbage patch yeah and i found that swan 48 and it's a whole long i've thing, seen that right? video man <laughs> yeah i did ever dude i had no idea that was gonna happen with that stupid ass video i would have put the ocean research project logo in that damn thing or yeah, something I know, right i didn't i mean i was just toying around I, did, I literally just clipped an old video a section out and just threw it on youtube and it, it fucking blew up you never bigger. know so you I, never God, know it's gonna God do that damn it. yeah right god yeah, damn it well. <laughs> i would have I would have spent a little more time at least that's something in there but uh anyways um uh, after our engine broke, you know, we it took us 24 days to do 500 miles because uh, we were, had a broken engine and we're in the doldrums. We're, yeah. on, that, we're on the uh, western side of the Bermuda Azores high pressure system, that doldrum essentially. Right. So, and it's fucking getting into like August. And I'm thinking like, oh, shit, yeah, like we, got, we can't run. We yeah. can't do anything. We didn't got wind. And we sit there for like 10 days drifting. And you and the, whatever's drifting around you stays with you. So like one day it's like a little bit off the bow. The next day like some thing is like off the stern. The next day it's over here. You <laughs> literally just become floatsome. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And fish and start sharks to congregate. start coming in. Yeah, yeah you ever yeah, have yeah. little fish congregate? First, oh yeah, yeah, the, the yeah, little yeah. fish first, and the bigger fish, and you become like a coral reef almost out in the open ocean. <laughs> so at one point, a tropical depression uh, developed right on top of our head. Like nice. Right where we were. Yeah. And I took us. I was like, oh shit, this might, we don't, you know, maybe it turns into a storm, maybe it doesn't. But it created like a thousand squalls. It was the weirdest <laughs> shit ever. And so we the had doldrums, man. We had no engine. And, and you know, with squalls, it's like sails up, sails down. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. these are pretty nasty squalls. Got lightning in them and blowing like 40 knots, 50 knots, whatever. But they, they last 20 minutes. Yeah. It's not, a, you drop your sails, it's not a big deal. But we spent like two days. I must have put my mane up and down like 150 times. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, dude. Because yeah. I'm trying to get to Bermuda at this point so I could fix my my injector pump had went out because we got fuel from a freighter and I mean it's a it's a whole elongated story. But uh, yeah, that shit was nuts. <laughs> I don't know, man. The whole trip around the Americas, though, the one thing that really bothered me, I think, was the intertropical convergence zone in the Pacific, which which yeah. is like the ultimate doldrum. You know, I mean, there's there's high pressures. Like that Bermuda Azor high pressure, mm. and there's high pressures uh, north of Hawaii. You know, there's some big doldrums out there, but the ones by the equator are kind of like the the key to essential. Oh my know? god, yeah, and yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I got, I was going like a knot for, I don't know, days and days. I thought there was a current against me. I couldn't, I don't know if there was or wasn't. I was in the middle of the ocean. How could, like literally the middle of the Pacific, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, I remember that. I mean, I never like, the nice thing about that trip and some of the trips you've done previous to the one we were just talking about is that you always were like making headway to the next waypoint. And if you're making headway to the next waypoint, you feel like you're accomplishing something. Yeah, you're you're yeah, good yeah. in the head, you know, because you're like, all right, I'm getting, you know, I'm 300 miles, I'm 200 miles, 100 miles. All right, got to this waypoint. Now the next one, whatever that next waypoint, the next waypoint might be 500 to 5,000. Like who knows what it is, you know? Right, right. But, but you know, you feel like you're, you're making doing something, you're doing something, you're getting there, you're getting progress, you're, you're, you know, but when you're just aimlessly drifting around and that was the Crowhurst situation, you know, yeah, that will fuck your head up. Well, and having having the fact of him knowing what what he was doing out there, you know, sort of cheating his way through it and right, all that stuff. Right. The pressure of that, I think, is what really right. sort of cracked him. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. If you're at that point, I just be, because I didn't have a game plan. And that's what sort of was messing with my brain. And that was the one trip where I did. I ended up because uh, I had provisioned that one. I was like, well, shit, I might end up being out here for like a year or more. So I brought like a ton of alcohol, tons, like, I don't know, 15 <laughs> gallons or something like that. And uh, I dumped out. I had brought like a this hundred proof vodka or something. I had a five gallon jerry can of that. And I ended up dumping that out. Like that was the only time I ever dumped alcohol off the boat. Five but I was like, I was like, I don't need this. I don't need this in my life. And I just dumped it out. And, oh my god. Well, I was just my my brain wasn't in the right state no, of mind. No, no, and, um, no. It's a good decision, I'm sure. It definitely it had to happen. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it was uh, one of those things. If you don't have if you don't have like a set goal that you're aiming for, aimlessly wandering the ocean is not a it's not a really good thing i i think i think for your brain i i don't know how uh reed it's a guy's name reed stowe reed stone yeah so yeah. reed stone spent a thousand days actually longer than a thousand days yeah his, his he's goal like was 1200 spend a, or something yeah he was gonna spend a thousand days alone in the ocean he was he was up in new york city uh before he left and met a young beautiful yeah, girl yeah. who I don't know what in the hell he told her. I don't know what kind of game that dude got. <laughs> Somehow he convinced this girl <laughs> well, to go. You got on a this. boat, man. Well, yeah, it's one thing to have a boat and be like, "Hey, girl, you want to go to the Bahamas? I'll yeah, get you a yeah, pina colada," you know. <laughs> As opposed to, "Hey, girl, you want to go spend a thousand days in the open ocean?" Yeah, Just like, right. You know, but he, she did, and, and to her credit, and she ended up getting pregnant, and she left. I don't know, like what it was, two hundred days in or hundred, whatever, like that, something, yeah. whatever it was, and. um and then he continued on and, and did the thousand days after. So it ended up being like 1200 days at sea, a thousand of them alone at sea. But he wasn't, he wasn't doing any, he, I think he went around the world once in that, but he was drawing like giant hearts and he did like GPS. He, yeah, he wanted to do a big turtle, I think on one trip. And then he has, I mean, his, his thing, and I think he's still trying to do it, but it's, it's essentially like, um, an astronaut training sort of thing mm -hmm. where it's, it's comparing life at sea to being what it would be like for, you know, an astronaut trying to get to like Mars. Yeah. yeah. He's been, I would say lightly. Um, collaborating with NASA, uh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, on this idea of if you stick these astronauts in a in a small <laughs> tube yeah, thing and, and right. launch them at Mars, and it takes three years to get there, uh, how do you keep them from going crazy? Essentially, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, Reed is Reed caught a lot of shit at the time. In particularly, there was like a bunch of uh, sailing anarchy. There was like this whole, and I'm not trying to give sailing anarchy a, a bad time or anything, but there was this group of people that just shit on him like hardcore. 
Yeah. One of them like stalked him. Like when that girl came off the boat and she flew back, he was waiting at the airport for her. Like, like on some crazy. Oh, really? Yeah. Like it was like out of control and just like bashing the shit out of him. I think someone was hating probably because of the younger girl, older guy, or I don't know, jealous. He's doing his dream. I don't know what it was exactly. And they're a bunch of racers who never fucking even go in the ocean. A lot of these guys, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but, the, but it was that, that part was kind of a shame of the situation. Reed is a, is a, from what I can understand <laughs> about the guys, he's a very special guy. He yeah. would get up, he would talk about how he gets up in the morning and does yoga on his boat after like day 800. And he's like crying out of joy of, of <laughs> being in the ocean. Like, it's like, you know, it's like, who the fuck cries what? out of you joy? Know, like, I, I'll do it. Like, I'll do it. I'll, day 800, if, I'll sit out there, I'll look at it. You if know, you I had cry this, about the it. spectrum of, you know, like Knox Johnson on one end and Morticier on the other, that'd be a good, uh, you know, you get, you get the more whimsical soul searcher and then you get the hard nose, like, I'm just trying to right. achieve this goal. He's sort definitely Morticier through and through. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was, side of the spectrum. He was an artist. He built it, I think he built his own 70 foot ferro cement boat, I believe yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And then all the work inside was like hand carved uh, uh, sculpt, oh, not sculpt sculpture artwork what the hell you call wood carvings when you oh oh um wood carved the shit out he wood carved the shit out of the inside yeah i know what you're talking about yeah Yeah. everything instead of just having like cabinet doors you've got these like yeah like he spent time like carving intricate patterns into everything yeah so where uh, where is he from is he canadian he's in the carolinas now no he's from the states he's from my friend herb mccormick knew the guy from back in the day herb was a writer of a cruising world for years and years and, and um and they kind of, not that it came up together, but they knew each other. I got a couple of friends. Another friend, Mike Peacock, is knew him well. And they're all, you know, he's he was he's always been a bit different, to say the least, you know. But, hey, uh, we all are, though. No, no, I mean, no. I'm know. not I'm not saying it's a bad thing. And I've been in touch a little bit with his wife um, over the years, on and off. Yeah. I wanted to talk to him about, about that. I would love to go out and spend some years alone in the ocean. Like, I would not be doing yoga and crying. But it would be, um, <laughs> no, I don't and so. I can't draw hearts or, or sea turtle or whatever he's, you know, he was drawing like with his GPS yeah, areas. Yeah, yeah. and he is an artist, you know, he had this whole thing he did in New York with these giant, like 10 foot by 10 foot paintings that kind of look like Jackson Pollock to me, but I'm not a very good, I'm not saying he's copying Jackson Pollock, but it kind of looked of that nature. Right. It's a lot of paint, paint splattered, but it was about that trip. So uh, okay, interesting. So yeah, more power to the guy. Now he's got a young kid, of course, because he got this. He's, I mean, he's got to be in his late fifties, mid fifties, and he's I got think probably he'd be older than that, right? Sixties. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know either. And he's got a kid, so it's a he, little hard. He emailed me to congratulate me after my trip. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah, oh, that's great. super nice. Um, yeah, that's great. No, man, I mean, that's the only contact. You're not going to find many people like that. No, that's for damn uh, sure. And even within the community of few people who do that shit, he's still he's out there on some, like you said, like some autissier, like a totally different level, you know, totally growing different. sprouts oh, in yeah, his village yeah, yeah. and doing yoga out there staring <laughs> at the sea like it's it's a totally different thing. But I think that with him, the goal always was just being out there, like embracing yeah, yeah, the ocean yeah. in this kind of almost like a spiritual It's what pulls uh, me out there, manner. man. I love being out there. I mean, I like the challenge of of doing the trip around the world that that for me was i was very curious to see what that would be like if i was capable of doing it and how it would change me as a person to be out there in that environment and and you know if i could deal with that sort of stuff and but i also i really love being out on the ocean i love sailing i love being in the middle of an ocean you know as far from land as you can because it's the only free place on this planet anymore Right. feels great to be out there. I mean, I, I definitely get a sense of, like, this is my world when I'm out there. 
and nobody can tell me what to do at all. Like I, you can do whatever you want. I mean, it definitely from well from the perspective, whatever from from from. There's no laws out there, man. It's great. No, there is nothing. No, it's just you, and there's no rescue either, really. I mean, to some extent, you know. I well, that you know, honestly, that begs a a good question. So I I've always taken it very seriously that because it's just me on the boat, and I'm putting myself in this predicament, so to speak. I mean, most people, the idea of being alone on a boat in the middle of an ocean is terrifying. Mm-hmm. If I get into trouble out there and it's something I've put myself into, I think I'd have a pretty hard time of requesting help from anybody else. Yeah, there's an old school single-hander mentality, uh, supposedly at least. Yeah. I heard about, you know, back in the early days when we get involved in this shit where, you you know, if you put yourself in the situation, you got to get yourself out of the situation. Essentially, you don't risk somebody else's life to save your own right. when you've knowingly put yourself in an overly risky situation to begin with. So it's, um, I don't I mean, it's easy to say. It's just like it's easy to yeah, say, it's one I'm going to step up in my life raft. I'm not <laughs> stepping down in my life raft. And you're in a storm. You're like, break out the life raft. Yeah, you know? right. swan so, dive. Well, yeah. and, and I, you know, for people that are doing races and stuff, those are organized things. Obviously, it's totally different. But like, because I got to sit down with um, Elliot Smith. He was in the, the Golden Globe. Um, oh, okay. He was, uh, I think he was the only American entrant. Was it the first one or the second one? Uh, the second one. Oh, okay. um, and he made it. Uh, he had trouble with his bowsprit and then ended up having to abandon. What kind of boat? I can't remember, man. I, mean, it wasn't, I don't think rustlers have bowsprits, do they? No, no, it wasn't a rustler. So I know there um, was the first one. I didn't follow the second one at all, but I know that there was quite a few. I know that a, a, there was some, there was a some woman won the, red the second stuff. one. Kirsten, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good for her. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. That's it was great. pretty cool. Well, and there's a girl out right now. Um, Cole Brewer or something. I can't remember her last name, but uh, she's doing the the ocean solo ocean challenge or whatever it is. Um, is I don't that? know too much about this race. I gotta I gotta do a little more deep dive. But essentially, they're taking you know fast boats around the world. Oh, uh, but it's a lot of like open forties, open fifties, right. um, and I think it. It's definitely nonstop, but I think, you know, if, if they have trouble, they can anchor off for like 96 hours or something somewhere, which. Yeah, which is stopping. It's stopping, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But um, but then again, Knox Johnson did drop an anchor at one point. Well, because he was trying to catch himself off. Well, he ran aground. Uh, well, it, again, it wasn't intentional. <laughs> if you run aground, you are no longer a vessel underway. You you well, are. Well, you know what, though? I Here's, and I, I've heard I'm not you trying talk to give about him, I'm not trying to give oh, him no, shit. Hey. I love Knox Johnson. <laughs> I got, you want to see something crazy? Here. <laughs> No, well, I I've heard you rant about this on your pod before, and it's it's always great because it's there's a question in my head about that because you know there's a lot of people that attempt to do it. Oh no way! Is this a, a personal letter? Uh, no, that is from 1968, I believe, or nine. Uh, that is an original Knox Johnson right after he got back from the first ever single-handed circumnavigation of the world, talking about basically what am I going to do with my life uh, and to how I'm going to write this book. He hasn't wrote the book yet. He talks shit about the government a bit. In, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that came from Nick, Nick Radka, who's a, oh, like wow. I said, who's a fan of yours. Uh, he got a copy of, uh, a, what is it, a world, a world of Your Own? What's the Knox Johnson book? Yeah, A World of My Own. Yeah, and that fell out of it. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I traded Nick something. I don't know, I begged Nick for it, and then I framed it. That's I crazy. Hang it book, but that's oh, an original. I'm going to have it's, to read that when we original Knox this. Johnson. But yeah, I mean, what I was all I was trying to really get at at some level is that when it comes to nonstop single-handed circumnavigation, well, there has to be a delineation. Yeah. So if you're if you're if it's unassisted, it's simple. 
You can't get anything. I can't give you a, a right. six pack of beer, a pack of smokes, a gallon of diesel, a bunch of food. Can't give you shit. You're right. unassisted. Single handed is easy. Nobody can come on your boat at, at any point in time, period. Yeah. You got to be alone the entire time. But so then why is it that the nonstop has this weird wiggle room where it's like, well, you can drop an anchor, but you can only do it for so long or you can run aground or whatever. Not to give him a hard time, obviously, but it's like, OK, so if I can drop an anchor once, what about a thousand times or a yeah, hundred times? Yeah. Or like, where do you, you, you I mean, in the international rules of maritime navigation are very clear that once you have dropped an anchor, you are no longer a vessel underway. And if you're not underway, you have stopped. And if you were to take a Coast Guard 100 ton captain license test, then they asked you if you dropped an anchor are you underway? Hey, and no, you said, I, I am. I know, yeah. they would, you would fail. They would say, <laughs> I don't want to get your wires are touching. Getting yeah, hot. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. No, well, That's I, all I got to say about it. I do. I understand that. I mean, cause there are, you know, there's, I, there was somebody who went, who was tempting to go from like Vancouver or something. And he ended up anchoring in the Falklands for a few days. Somebody came on his boat. Um, and then he ended up, um, you know, finishing the rest of the trip and there were a lot of people that were like no that still counts and all stuff no it's don't like, no, it don't count really i'm sorry i mean that's why i was count. i was very fortunate on my trip to um the falkland island government let me get in there not have to anchor not have to tie off to the boat the boat they were they were on board for it they pulled up real close and they threw boxes over so the mm. only thing i didn't succeed in was i needed to take um, assistance. I needed food. Yeah. Well, I, I had the out. same problem. My water maker broke. Yeah, in the beginning, yeah, that yeah, fucked yeah. Me up. I was trying to do it unassisted myself. And my water maker broke early on, and my little manual water maker pumped over four hundred thousand times. Yeah, yeah, uh, I know. And right? so I had to come out and throw a water maker at me, and and that killed the unassisted thing. Yeah. But I'm not gonna go in and drop an anchor. Like I just floated around off Newfoundland until somebody, till the fog cleared, and somebody could get out there and throw this box at me with a. And that was so early in the trip, too. Yeah, it was right. And I'm thinking, like, Were fuck. you like, should I just go back and start again? No, I thought I'd have to start again in Newfoundland. And, oh, and then now my oh, start right, and finish right, right. is going to have to go out to end it in Newfoundland. And, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was just like, you know, it was, it was rough. But luckily, I had a friend who found a used... Uh, manual water maker the the what the hell is it the survivor 30 or whatever yeah it is, yeah yeah you know and that little uh catadine thing yeah, or whatever it is. Yep. oh man yeah i pumped it over four hundred and six thousand times during the rest of that trip that used <laughs> oh, one. dude i hated it like that mine mine broke uh in the indian ocean and uh i was so far out there there was just nothing i could really do i guess but uh yeah you just get rainwater uh-huh yeah 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 Oh, that's what I, real men do, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. That 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 trip when I when I think about even the fact that I was trying to attempt to do that with my little knowledge of the Arctic and stuff, my hats off to you because that's that's such a different impediment than yeah. an open ocean. And you probably have water tanks like built in your boat. Uh, I yeah, I usually what I run with I, I have two thirty five gallon plastic tanks, and then I have a water bladder, and then I have jerry cans. See, Alvin Vega didn't have any water tanks, zero, any, nothing. You, yeah, you could, in zero, the documentary, you just had the hose in your mouth. I would mouth. stick the seven pumps to a swallow. You Damn. pump if you stick the hose in your mouth, you pump it seven times a swallow. If you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and you're thirsty, you got to break out the water maker and pump it. Throw the thing over the side. You start pumping. I can imagine that, dude. When I was, I can remember on one of the trips, I ran out of water and I had, I just bought another one of those because I, I believe those things are good. I think I just got a bad one that year. And uh, I remember being in the doldrums and I would be trying to fill up like a five gallon jet. I'd be like, all right, it's going to take five hours. I'm going to pump for five hours straight. But yeah, every like minute or two, because it's 95 degrees, 
I'd stick it under my hat and then give it like 10 pumps. It all just drained down just to cool me off. Felt so fucking good. Oh, man. Yeah, but Those I think water the Arctic, you would have been, you know, <laughs> a, a West Sail, you had the fuel, you knew it, you, you know, you, you had the preparation, which is the important, because the Northwest Passage is weird that way, where you can get, it depends on the year. Yeah, like You can yeah, have yeah. lots of light wind, like like no wind, essentially, up there. You can have no wind for a week or weeks or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then when it blows, it blows like a bitch, and then you have no wind again. Yeah. So, you know, it was the right, you know, uh, way to do it, and to bring a shit ton of fuel, and then once you get through the passage, after that, you know, whatever, you run out of fuel, then you run out of yeah, fuel, it doesn't, doesn't matter, matter anymore. To me. Yeah. Right. I don't know, I just, I was kicking myself, because the year before, Randall went through, and I was like, God, I really should have just gone that year. But I was that that you know I didn't. Well, how do you feel now? Is the thing like does it bother you that 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 you weren't able to do it? Do you nah, feel like I need nah. to do it? Is it just like a honestly, thing you don't care about anymore? Honestly, or? I'm I'm I feel kind of lucky. One, because you never know what would have happened had I actually gone up. Well, there. it's not an adventure if you know the ending. Well, yeah, exactly. But <laughs> here, <laughs> true. I, you know what, I, the fact that I actually casted off the lines, I did all the preparation and for like two weeks I was headed up to the Arctic. That to me, even, and, and it was uh, completely outside of my control whether or not I could continue. Um, I don't know. For some reason I feel like at least I, you know, I had the gumption to go for it. Right. So that counts for at least a little well, I, something. I think you would have. It would have been nice. You, to be, would have, uh, you would have done it, or or at least done it as much as humanly possible. Who knows? Like you said, yeah, what the yeah. hell's going to happen? Right. But I do think you would have. You know, you wouldn't have turned around if it wasn't for the pandemic. So if you could have kept going, I think you would have kept going. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So, there was one guy who did. He told the Canadians to just. He was like, "Slough off, man. This is an open waterway." And he went through. But I, I, from what I understand, he's got like a lifetime ban in Canada. Yeah, I did hear about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is cool, man. Hey, respect. Well, you know? if you never want to go back, probably like I was in the Northwest Passage this year doing. I know, research, right? So you like, got it. Yeah, you got to maintain that off, relationship. Get me pissing off the Canadians. Love the Canadians. Or the or great the, people. Or the cheer, Inuit cheer to the Canadians. Yes. <laughs> It's so really what is it? What what is that maritime? Uh, I I can't even remember who I was emailing back and forth with Department of DOT or I don't know what it was up there. I, I I made some phone calls before I left going around the Americas and essentially it was like, well, if you don't step foot on land, you don't got to check in. Mm. So that was and that was it. So I didn't uh, I didn't you know I had a phone number. You know I wrote down like in pencil. Yeah, I wrote down some phone number for the guy I'm supposed to call. Yeah yeah you know, yeah. If I make if it. You know, I wasn't going mean, to, the last thing I wanted to do was make landfall. You know, it was land was my enemy. It wasn't my friend. Right, right, you know? right. And the problem with that archipelago there in the in the Canadian Arctic is it, it does get kind of tight sometimes. And then you got land on both sides and, you yeah, know, it's right these shores and mm-hmm. rocks and, and all sorts moving. of. Well, you know what yeah, I was kind of surprised about when I got back eventually, I think it was 88 days and I returned back to the States and uh, there were emails from the Greenland Maritime something or other and they were like greetings welcome to greenland and there was all information about how i couldn't enter their country and stuff so they were obviously tracking me on my AIS. yeah i bet it was Asiat radio i, I don't know yeah. but they you know they couldn't obviously they couldn't get to me somehow they they found enough information about me to get my email address and that's interesting and uh i you know obviously at that point it was moot but uh I, I don't know. I didn't get that close to their country i was definitely not in their territorial well, they waters. didn't send anything to me and i was Maybe eight miles off Greenland at one point, going around the Americas. I was oh, close really? enough to see the mountains at one yeah, point. That was back in, in the distance. day, though. That was 2011, yeah, 12, yeah, 2011. Right? So it yeah. was it was a while ago, and yeah, I, you know, things have changed. I mean, I've been going to Greenland 
this is my sixth year this year mm-hmm. um and it's definitely has changed you know over the years so um it's but not crazy change i mean it's greenland I mean, yeah it's still yeah, the wild it's, west it's of the challenging Arctic. enough that <laughs> it's keeping yeah, but they're the trying to keep a, they're trying to keep a much better uh track it used to be people didn't even check in you know you show up to greenland they're it's still to this day checking in is is very odd yeah like last I year i it. checked in and and uh they didn't stamp the passport it was it was all uh uh, immigration and not cu- no, it's all customs and no immigration. This year is all immigration and no customs. <laughs> One of them refused to even show up. They just like it's like they didn't feel like it. Like you're fine. Yeah, yeah. That's what the guy said. He was like, ah, we're too busy. You're okay. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Okay. I've had that happen in the island. There was there was one time I remember checking, and I won't even say the country, but uh, I got in there sort of later in the day, and by island standards, that was like three thirty in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And the dude looked at me and he's like, Jerome. Because I, I knew he was like, you know, you didn't have to check in today. You could be fine. You could go walk around. <laughs> and I was like, ah, yeah, but I want to I, I want to do it by the rules, man. Gotta, you hate getting cl- kicked out of a country. I've seen people that get kicked out. It's no fun. So what's what's next, man? What is next? I, the I don't boat know. needs some love, but the it, boat it, needs I, what I need is some new sails. But I did want to run something past you. Yep. I've had this idea for a long time because you know I think back to your original idea, your original scheme of, which I think is a really great one, utilizing small sailboats as not only a uh, a research vessel, but under your guidance as like a you know, you've got essentially you become a commodore of a bunch of different vessels that are going out and doing this research. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to go back down to the South Atlantic for a reason. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to go and map out. I don't know. Has 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 the the garbage patch down there? I've sailed through it. Yeah. But has it been mapped out recently? Uh, no, I would say that the it hasn't been done recently. Essentially, the the trawling activity uh, for the most part has died down considerably because organizations mostly were trawling to North Pacific and North Atlantic garbage patches yeah. and North Pacific by far. Yeah, I mean, yeah. When you hear about the, the, the garbage patch, I mean, most of that is North Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we were able to map out the Eastern side of the North Atlantic in 2013. Nobody had gotten there yet. Yeah. Uh, the, there are models for South Atlantic, South Pacific. Uh, there are two different models. And one of the models shows a garbage patch, for instance, in the South Pacific. One shows almost nothing. Uh, South Atlantic is also fairly... Um, well, it's there. I've been through it. Yeah, yeah. I sailed through it, too. And I, I bounced off of... Uh, I almost hit a refrigerator at one point. Not saying that that's <laughs> really? normal. I'm not saying that's a normal garbage <laughs> patch thing. But I was hitting all sorts of... You know, I was hitting things and random... It's not an island of garbage, no, obviously. No. But, but yeah, I came like a foot from hitting a floating fridge. But, <laughs> uh, and I'd run over... Like, you'd think weird, like sometimes you run over something at night. And you hear it like bouncing down your uh, your hull and your keel, sort of. You yeah, know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go run out the back of your boat, and it, but it's pitch black. You're looking out there like, what the fuck? I've had and, scratches that I find after the boat gets hauled out, like on the the bottom paint, you know. Well, yeah. And it's always in that like wave like pattern. The problem is to like there's mapping and there's mapping of a garbage patch region, and there's um. The traditional way to do it is trawls, yeah. dragging a trawl behind you. So you sail I, down there. I do that. We just did a, uh, this first ever Chesapeake Bay-wide uh, microplastic survey I know. that I finished at, my two, hat on I that finished one. at 2 o'clock this morning at 2 a.m. I officially finished, finished. I kind of finished it the other day, but we're back in Annapolis. I'm, I'm back. I was going to say, because I listened to the podcast yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was mostly finished, but I was in Cambridge. Right, right. I was oh, dropping okay. off scientists and shit. I was not a, drinking tequila. And, I was uh, drinking tequila, <laughs> sitting in a car. 
in a parking when lot. When that lady comes up, that's too funny, man. Yeah. Well, I told him to cold. Don't be parking your car. Don't leave your car in the fucking. At first, I was like, "Oh my god, he's getting arrested." <laughs> I told her to park it. She don't listen to me. Never listen to me. But whatever. I can't say I, I don't blame her. But, uh, but sorry, anyway. I, I'm taking you totally anyway, off track. To to to. There, there is a garbage patch that hasn't been mapped yet. It's it, 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 we don't know anything about essentially, yeah, uh, Indian Indian Ocean. But uh, if you want to do uh, South Atlantic, South Pacific, or Indian Ocean, and you really want to do it properly, uh, you can't just sail through there and grab a few samples. No, you and gotta like grid it, right? Well, that's sail what's back, been done forth, so far. Forth, so yeah. that what we know about the South Atlantic garbage patch and South Pacific is mostly just random. You know, a boat that goes through there it could have been five gyres. Five gyres used to do it quite a bit, like 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a plastics, you know, microplastics nonprofit. Uh, but they've moved, like a lot of them have moved. A lot of them have moved away from the data collection side to the, um, well, outreach, first off, right? Educating people about the issue, but yeah. also policy change, which is the ultimate goal for really any of it in some ways. If you can create new policies and legislation on a governmental level, then you might be able to uh, change the way that we interact with some of these plastics, particularly one-time use plastics. Yeah. would be the easiest to start with at the very least. Or the micro beads that I was bitching about in the last podcast. Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't realize about the microfibers on like, you know, fleece and stuff like that. Yeah, going you, through you, the laundry. You, uh, you wash a fleece and it can be up to 60,000 uh, little pieces of plastic. Microfibers can come off every time you wash it. Man, and they're so crazy, small, man. they go right through the filtration. They go through everything. And so you talk to the, the cotton lobby because they probably love right, to use right, that. Hemp, I mean, hemp, like, hemp I've been, well, I'm down in North Carolina. <laughs> I drive through all the cotton fields and I'm like, American-made cotton out here, man. No micro-freaking-plastics coming I off know, of that. A fleece is so warm. Yes, that's true, man. It's it true. makes a great middle layer. Those synthetics, they're pretty good. I will not I know, lie. but they're trashing, they're trashing everything. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, what are they? Well, I mean, and... and you know, I you talk about the plastics all the time, and I don't want you to have to keep, no, keep right. going into it. But I I do know that your voice is is heard pretty loud and clear. And I you know I think it's really interesting because a lot of people like to just focus on this, that, and the other thing. But you always always bring it back to I think the correct problem, which is the mindset of people being like, oh, we're going to utilize this material that lasts a thousand years for something that i'm going to use it once for for two seconds like a straw or like a stir stick or something and it is that's that's the thing that needs to change i think more than any is just people need to just stop it's yeah but again using it you get in almost like uh changing the culture well and and that's you know and and that and that's the hardest thing you can do like one of the hardest you break the habit and then but you know having that mindset because i i try as much as possible never to use single-use plastic even ones that quote-unquote can get recycled like bottles of water I used to hate that when i go around to a speaking engagement and they'd be like here you want a couple bottles of water I'm you like, want to hear a funny story man i one time <laughs> did a ted talk about the problem of plastic trash in the ocean at a giant npr building guarantee in, they set you up with in, bottled water in no it's it's worse in uh <laughs> it was in jacksonville florida and it was this big ted thing down yeah. there and you know whatever did and i did this talk uh i was the last one before the lunch break uh-huh. and so i do the whole spiel plastic trash you got the time limit you know ted talks very rigid yeah, and all the rest. yeah, yeah. 
And they told me they wanted me to write down everything I was going to say before I said it, which, of course, I didn't. Jeez. And everybody that did, I felt so bad for it. was like it was actually I've done a couple of them, uh, those TED Talks. And that one was I know I've watched. Them. Yeah, They're you don't good. you don't do that. Like you, you don't you don't memorize your speech and then give a memorized speech because you're just not it's always going to come off really poorly because when you're standing in front of an audience and and you and the pressure is on and the camera's looking at you and all the rest and now you got to remember all this like word for word a 15 minute speech you know it's it's without a prompt or anything anyways that's not the point the point is (laughs) we get off we, we i get off the stage it's lunchtime yeah and it's everything it's like 500 people in the audience all with like plastic forks, plastic spoon, plastic plates, plastic cups, and these giant dumpster things that they rolled up to deal with all this. And I'm talking to the guy who runs the entire facility of the NPR. You know, it's like 200, 300 employees. It's a yeah. big building. And the whole building doesn't recycle. There is right, zero right. recycling. And it's like, you know, you're, you just made like 150 pounds of plastic trash of 500 people worth of plastic everything for yeah this shit. it's going and to landfill like, for a thousand he's years like, oh, it's too expensive to recycle here and you know the, the the reality like annapolis maryland uh most restaurants don't recycle most marinas don't recycle and it's not the fault necessarily of just the marinas or just the restaurants the infrastructure there's not there's, yeah there's no nothing else you can do with it I go to europe and when i was sailing around when i did a whole europe africa caribbean trip single-handed I used to have to jump the fucking fence of restaurants to find a, a garbage, like a dumpster, like where I could put garbage because the public stuff is recycling mm. and it would be broken into like categories. You know, you'd have like your glass thing, you'd have your cardboard thing, you have your plastic thing. They do it in Japan the same way where they, it was like a triple yeah. dump thing. And there's then, you no know, like just straight garbage. Yeah. And it's... I was like, and I would be as an American as from America, you know, <laughs> I was like, where the hell do I put my garbage? You know? And so I would like, I would like find restaurants and jump the fence like like a renegade Santa Claus with my giant satchel of, <laughs> of presents, you know, and, and then dump it in there and try to jump the fence again before some somebody like yelled at me or something, you know. And now you're a bastion for change. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you it. go. Well, it wasn't. Re- I mean, I recycle my recyclings, you know. This was, but not everything gets recycled. You know, some shit does wind up in the trash. I mean, it's oh just, my god, yeah, no, tons just, of it does. But we don't recycle much, and not to go down that rabbit hole, but but we don't. You know, the amount of trash, you know, plastic trash or whatever that one restaurant creates in one night, uh, let alone a city full of them. And that's just one very small genre within, you know, the whole spectrum of whatever NPR buildings and, and so on and so on. So it's it's um, but recycling plastic is very difficult because if you have a plastic water bottle, for instance, the cap and that little ring that breaks off the cap when you first open the cap is often made of a different type of plastic than the water bottle itself is made of. Yeah. So you can't recycle them the same. Do you expect some dude named like Joe or Bob or whatever recycling people's names are to like sit there and snip that little ring off of every bottle and separate every cap? That's not realistic. No. Uh-uh. So we're not, we're not set up for it. That's that's for sure. I mean, and it is. I, I don't know. I, we used to ship it to China. Yeah, we yeah. Used to in Indonesia, and, yeah, and, right and, back, and China's yeah. like, "Fuck you! I want your goddamn <laughs> plastic trash. Get that, get that shit. Take that shit back." Which I think, I mean, you know, rather than try and regulate it and all that sort of stuff, obviously, I, I do think that it is. You, you change sort of the mindset. But, yeah, like you said, going about that and trying to figure it out, I think, is is really the challenge. Right. And, and the know. biggest thing, I think, is is just, you know, if, if people can be aware, it, it it's not realistic to go cold turkey on one-time-use plastics because you're going to be somewhere at some point 
and you're probably going to really thir- be thirsty, and someone's going to hand you a bottle of water in a plastic bottle. Yeah. And drink the damn thing. Yeah. You know, but if you're aware of it, then at least you're going to be doing it a lot less. And it's just, it, you know, it's more of like just reducing your interaction with one-time use plastics as opposed to, you know, what I think for most people is unrealistic, the cold turkey situation. Because it's... it. When I was younger and you were younger, I'm, uh, going to a gra- gas station, there was no bottled water. Like that wasn't no, uh, that wasn't a thing. It was it like Coca Cola and yeah. shit like that. Yep. But it just didn't. Exist. And it was in glass and it was in aluminum and that was it. Yeah, and you want some water, you go to your tap and you drink water from the tap. It's that's water. The good old days. <laughs> yeah, I know. When I was a boy, <laughs> back when humans were better humans. Now, no, it's um, yeah. Well, so anyway, I mean, you know, we, yeah, we can, I can go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Long I, I don't, you know, I don't want you to have to do that. It's, it's one of those things, but I was just, you know, I was just thinking, man, it'd be nice. I'd like to, this last trip was literally supposed to be the easy one. I didn't want to have any like Cape Horn. I didn't want to have any of the dangerous quote unquote dangerous. I thought stuff. you were going into the Pacific. No, that was in 2020. What was, what was the two, last one? Or no, 2021. Was the one I was going to try and double the horn and go out to right, right to the island. You, you got to, like yeah, a grandfather Lord Howard, or something, yeah. right? Great, 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 great grandfather. He's in the phosphates trade. Yeah, he got dropped off. And you know what's funny about that is that uh, he was the first or second mate on that ship, and so they fill up on some island somewhere, and then they find this other island. This is you know eight early eighteen hundred, eighteen twenty, eighteen thirty. I don't know. And essentially, um, they were like you and you are going to stay on this island and we're going to sail back to England and then we'll come back and get you guard the island. Guard now, the island from what? 18 what other, year, what, other what year ships, was this? Other company. 18 what'd you say? Like probably 1820s. 1820s. Back when they the were still French, discovering maybe, all and the stuff. Sp- were they still fighting the Spanish back then? Well, who uh, is this? This is Americans, right? Was he American or is he English? Yeah, I don't point? know what the ship was, who the ship was under. So was he, an he was an American. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he ended up uh, living out the rest of his days in uh, Portsmouth. I mean, New well, the War of eighteen twelve wasn't that yeah, long yeah. before, so it could right. have been the English, it could have been the French, it could have been a lot of people. The Dutch, but the Dutch were heavy out there. In any event, he, um, you know, I think about, it and I used to think, oh man, I can't. What a bad luck he. Had. How long he was got, he there? He was there for nine months. Yeah, yeah. He and this other guy, and then another ship came. What's and they, the islands? Is it like crabs? They, and... We believe that it was. It we used to be called New Nantucket, but uh, now it's called uh, Howland. <laughs> I Island. believe that was the traditional name. Uh, yeah, yeah, by yeah. the indigenous population. <laughs> yes, um, but the one that they thought Amelia Earhart tried to aim for, Howland oh, Island. Interesting. Yeah, right. but here's the thing that I sort of realized after thinking about it for a while. I was like, man, you know what? What kind of what kind of real terrible person must he be must have he he must have just been awful to have on that ship for them to choose him and be like dude you know what you need to get off this boat and go on this stay on this or maybe try could go the other way maybe he was the trustworthy one where like we know like if if anybody runs up on this island we know this motherfucker (laughs) ain't gonna take that shit like he's gonna gonna take him out like they ended up Essentially, uh, performing a mutiny by disobeying the orders, giving up <laughs> the hell with and, that shit. yeah, leaving. and they went back, and that was in his obituary. As he was like, when we had to choose between, you know, going to jail for mutiny, so or, he was navy at this point, like like American. It would have been merchant merchant marines, okay. I'm sure, something like that. I don't know when that all came around, but 
Um, I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting story. And so well, I, was like, I was like, oh, I want to go. Maybe. Who knows? There, there is maybe a hell huge... volunteers that maybe he didn't like life at sea. And he's like, I get this goddamn boat. Oh, oh no. He, he spent his whole life at sea. He was. Um, no, maybe he was a pain in the ass. There was. <laughs> he was actually in. And I don't know what. Uh, where he was on this ship, but they were over on the Isle of Wight. And they got put in a berth. And the tide went out too far. Or farther than the the people that the the marina put them in, and uh, broke the back of the ship. And they they spent seven years in England in litigation to Jesus. figure out who was responsible. If if a, a a dock master puts you in a slip and says there's enough water, and the water oh, isn't damn. enough, and is it is it the captain's fault or is it the marina's uh, fault? I mean, I would like to think that the dock master knows more about the water than the guy running the ship. Who might never have been there before? Yeah, but you know, whatever happens to the ship is yeah. The, no, the captain's, captain's always responsible. Right, He's always right. gonna catch. The so ship that was, and, I, I think it was yeah. this huge long legal battle. I, I don't even know who. who I know, I don't know, man. Up. I would definitely, if I were to put blame, and granted, I'm the captain, so I'm gonna, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna here. blame the marina. <laughs> well, they, it's the fucking marina. You, it's your goddamn marina. You, you work here. You told me you're what here it was. every day. Yeah, don't you know yeah. your goddamn put a put a lead line down there, you old fuck? Like, figure out what it is. I'm hoping I'm hoping to have my uncle Bill. He he knows the family lineage a lot better. He's still up there in Boston, and uh, I'm hoping to have him on the show at some point because he he hopefully will be able to go. But it, it's hard. I mean, there's only these tiny little news clippings and things like that from from all the stuff that happened. But essentially, what I want to do is double the horn, go out to that island, and then come back. And um, that was 2021. And but that was, was when I went through that hurricane, and you broke your tropical bowels. storm. Oh, then you broke your. It, is that the one you broke yeah, the the, the 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 little side rail. So it has wood rails. You got that any you footage of that? On. Uh, there's not a whole lot. There's well, there's some footage of the next really, day. You know, it's like. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I've got footage of me hove to before it kicked in because it wasn't very big. I mean, it was a small, compact little. Were you hove tropical to storm? It yeah, oh, yeah. And I was I was just sitting there in the boat and everything was fine. Um, the problem was, is we were just essentially every time a, a steep enough wave came when we went back down, the bow was just smacking the water. And so the bow sprit, the, the side rails that you'd walk up, mm-hmm. those peeled up. So they separated from the wood of the bow sprit. But the real problem Jeez. was that I opened up some cracks where the bow sprit is adhered to the deck. Uh-huh. And that was where water started getting in eventually. And I was like, okay, well, I'm still headed towards Cape Horn. And I know that the bow and my bowsprit are a little bit compromised. Is this still a good idea? So since you have one of the few people who have been in heavy weather situations where you both hove to and run before the storm, because mm-hmm. in the Southern Ocean, you run before it, essentially. You got to heave two down there. You just got to run. Huh? You run. Um, how do you feel about uh, uh, if you have, let's say, infinite sea room, essentially, mm. where you're not going to hit a lee shore in yeah. that situation, and you have two options. You can heave to, or you can run before the storm. Uh, how do you feel about one versus the other? It, it all depends on what the what the waves are doing. That's that's how I, I you know. Were there, was there current, or was it deep ocean water? That 
that one was deep ocean water. There was really no current to speak of. The waves were acting like normal waves. I, I, I asked this because I just I got this little silly Patreon podcast I do with a, a, kind of associated with my podcast, you uh-huh. know, and every once a month. And literally, like yesterday or the day before, right after I got done doing that the podcast on single hand, I did the next one. Yeah, uh, and I was talking about heaving two versus running uh, uh, before the storm, right? Uh, and basing it around, you know, I ever read Adlar Cole's uh, Heavy Weather Sailing. Oh yeah. So baby. Vo- volume three, uh, the last chapter is the Fastnet race in 1979, uh. and so it was basically like a half hour of me just talking about heaving two versus uh, uh, um, running before the storm using that as the reference point of how boats did versus one versus the other. Yeah. And in that particular case, the boats that ran before it did far better than the ones that heaved two in it. And I kind of wonder where is a, a breaking point essentially for, for damage, you know, damage to vessel one tactic versus the other. Yeah. Of course you can add drogues to running down and you can, you can change this up. You can also heave two on our parachute sea anchor. If you're Lynn and Larry party. Yeah. You know? yeah so, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of variables we can add to the mix, but, but, um, if if you were in the same situation again, would you heave to, or or would you try running, or would you have done the same thing, or or? Uh, well, under uh, so under those circumstances, uh, had I had I had uh, if I knew what was going to happen to the bowsprit, I mean, I'm glad it happened because obviously the bowsprit was already a weak spot, because um, it should have been able to take that. Right. But I hadn't taken off and rebuilt that thing. After they make the a stainless one, right? That you can buy. From- yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't there like somebody making stainless West Sail 32 bowsprits mm-hmm. or something? Ugliest damn things yeah. you ever saw, man. That's wood. That's Doug fur, baby. I know, I know. They are, um, they are pretty. Wood bowsprit <laughs> really is pretty. pretty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. But no, so I, I essentially that storm was moving to the south, okay. and it was coming straight over the top of me, right down the middle. I went right through the eye in the middle of the night. Boom! The wind quit. I saw the stars about 15, 20 minutes, and then oh, the wind wow. shifted one hundred and eighty degrees. That must have created chaos. <gasps> oh yeah, yeah. And that was it. Was the second half of it that yeah, th- that plowed right. me through it. But then eventually, once once it became light and things sort of straightened up a little bit, then I just ran with it. Um, I prefer to run with it, but again, it it always depends on what the sea state's doing. In the last trip, uh, when I got turned upside down. It didn't matter what, if you were going to hove to. And this the, was the easy one. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to do a figure eight around the Atlantic, the North and South Atlantic. Like I called right. it the Atlantic eight. It was going to be just trade wind sailing, except for the very start. I didn't even know you got, you got, you got capsized. It turned upside down. How, how yeah, the you fuck know. do you capsize a West Sail 32? Big wave. You get, <laughs> you get caught in a gale in of, the Gulf what Stream. What kind of oceanic tsunami? I was, was I was just past the Gulf Stream, the main portion of it, and but I was in a pretty big eddy. And okay. essentially, the it was supposed to be like a near gale that obviously accelerated over the Gulf Stream. Yeah. And, uh, and out of the north? But it was, just, it was just one wave. No, it was uh, south south side okay, of the right. Gulf Stream, and there's and good so footage you weren't, of it. You weren't in the Gulf Stream at that point. Not in the main portion, but I was in an eddy that was probably blowing or moving at like two two and a half knots. And what was the wind? Was the wind direction opposing it, or was yeah wind? yeah 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 yeah? Well then yeah. But that's, one that's all, the all it was so so one boat wave. Show boat just sunk the other a week ago from that shit. Oh really? Yeah. yeah it went in the Gulf Stream in the nor'easter, thinking, oh, it's blowing north. I'm going south. It's gonna blow me south, and it went right in the Gulf Stream off Hatteras, God, and it was so a giant sixty foot catamaran, and, and they it sunk and they had to get saved in a life raft. It's not, I do. Well, and I, honestly, I, I've always known that it's not a place to ever mess around. The only difference between all the other trips, cause I know 
any other trip I would have hove to well before the Gulf Stream, knowing right. that forecast. But right. this was the first trip where I could see the Gulf Stream because mm-hmm. I was downloading using Luck Grib. Okay. Um, and Iridium Go it was the first time I ever had that. And so nice, nice to have that shit. Yeah. Oh, that was well. But the only problem is it got me. I made the stupid decision of thinking like, oh, I can weave through these eddies. Oh yeah. Okay. And I was really dumb because this this one wave came out of nowhere. Obviously, it was it was a remarkable wave, and it was able to it essentially broke underneath the boat. We tipped over and rode the falls and hit upside down. And that ripped Jesus it Christ. ripped all the gallows, ripped all the lifelines, ripped all the solar panels, the Jesus. Dodger. Mongo, the the wind vane was there and the mast was still there. I only had a triple reef mainsail. Um what kind of wind vane is it? Uh Aries. Oh, old yeah, school. Old Keep school, with the Aries. Baby. Oh, I yeah. heard that the daughter or granddaughter, whatever it they're is, still, is they're, yeah, they're cranking. Parts. It's a new one. No, it's a, they they started making they new them? ones in two thousand sixteen. Are they aluminum or stainless? Aluminum, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Super thick super thick like well, my problem with the, the aluminum ones was that white like if they sit too long you get that like white powdery yeah stuff yeah, that yeah. freezes you them got, up well you gotta you really you have can to blast it off you can clean it up if you, you can clean to. it up um i use anywhere there's only a few little sections that have any sort of stainless on them um you just use you a lot get of annoyed gel by the clicky system the clicky system on one point seems like great because as you turn the air vein up on the top yeah it like clicks into place so it's like where yeah, the monitor, like click, the damn click. thing is like a stupid little plastic wheel. See, know? I've never used a monitor. I've yeah. only used the Aries and a Hydrovane. But but the uh, the the little plastic wheel, you can easily you know you can just take it by hand and go whoop. Yeah, with, yeah, with, yeah. The, with the Aries, you're like click 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 click. Well, you can do that with the Aries. You just have to open one of them up and do it. Oh, here, here's okay. the thing that happens with the Aries though: in mm-hmm. really heavy wind, 40, 50 knots. Sometimes if you try and just click it once or twice, it'll be like vroom, and it'll. It'll do like a 90 degree turn on you. And then oh, you're no up there shit. trying to click the other way. <laughs> oh, my God. That was always pretty crazy. Well, the Aries was a classic. You know, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Mongo, the, man. Yeah. He's the best. Like, I, I've only lost one, one wind blade um, mm-hmm. in the whole time. It was just one wave that, that ah, came out a weird angle and just hit it flat. But, I mean, it, it that wind vane survived everything. I think it sailed like 70,000 miles with it or something. Yeah. And I, I barely understand. had to do any maintenance on it. Yeah. No, um, that's, I mean, Aries were, they're robust for they're sure. They're really good. Yeah. And they're, 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 I lost a monitor air vane once, you know, they make two different sizes and one has like red tape, one is blue tape, one is bigger, one is smaller. They're made oh, out of like that okay, plastic okay. sort of material. And they're the same sort of design as an Aries, aren't they? Well, they're servo pendulum. Servo pendulum. It's all a yeah. servo, except it's all stainless. It's a all stainless servo pendulum. Right. But a lot the of gears some of it's bronze. like, some of it's like thin though, right? Well, if you're going to have a problem with a monitor, which they did have on the first GGR, and yeah. in the second GGR, there wasn't a single monitor wind vane they in the entire They all use hydrovanes, right? Yeah, and hydrovanes have their up and down, too. I mean, there's issues. I've, I've sailed about 20,000 miles with a hydrovane, about 50,000 with a monitor, and I don't know, maybe about 5,000 with an Aries. You know, yeah, with yeah, Aries yeah. is much less because you just don't see them very often. But uh, And those are all deliveries. Yeah. But um, they all have their ups and downs. Uh, but the breakaway tube... Uh, uh, on the bottom of a monitor wind vane, right above the 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 rudder, so to speak, it doesn't yeah, act yeah. like a rudder, but you know what I'm saying. Right. Um, the wall thickness, because it's meant to break away. Well, they were breaking away in the first GGR, and Randall Reeves had one break away on his yeah. first attempt. Yeah. So they started well because his drogue went. Well, that was and the, got wrapped around it. Yeah, that was. I I'm pretty sure he had one break away before that, and he had a backup. I had a backup also. 
going around the Americas. They gave me one, a Hans back then, the original oh, Scanmar okay. guy wow. gave me a backup nice. uh, breakaway tube. Yeah. And so they, they do make a thicker, I mean, it sounds good as a safety uh, scenario, cause they do, as opposed to ripping the entire wind vane off yeah, the back of your yeah, boat. Yeah, right. But the problem is that that's not going to really happen. And the tube ends up breaking maybe when it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So they've they've worked on, I don't know, they've, now they have a thicker breakaway. But, right. But there was enough of a thing that happened in the first GGR that the, in the second one, nobody got a monitor. There wasn't a single monitor wind vane in the entire... Well, wasn't Hydrovane a sponsor for oh, that? Oh, were they? I I'm don't know. I'm pretty sure they were. I know yeah. the guys who run Hydrovane, the, 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 uh, the son who runs it uh, now. He's been running it for a few years. You know, yeah, it was a, they're pretty cool. Uh, I, I, no, he's great. I, I mean, like... Well, they're good people first. They're both good people. Mike, who owns uh, Scanmar, uh, Mike Sheck, who owns Scanmar and sells monitor wind vane, is a great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hydrovane people are great. I mean, they're all, they're all great. They're competitors. They got their thing. But they're different animals. One is servo pendulum. One is yeah, auxiliary yeah. rudder. They're totally different animals. Well, and that that's where it comes down to what type of bow. I mean, I would, I would prefer... Uh, a servo pendulum on something like a west sail because you got a barn door for a rudder right that you know the hydrovane although i've been on a west sail with hydrovane and the hydrovane will still steer it for sure i've never been in heavy weather with it but i know that when i'm racing down big waves and the boat uh, my west sail surfing at 15 knots i like the fact that my rudder is actually doing the work i've sailed a, that feels pretty good to me uh 39 foot 35,000 pound double ender, heavy double ender. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's quite heavy, 35,000 yeah. pounds. And in heavy weather, heading to Bermuda, not crazy, but maybe blowing 40 or something like that mm-hmm. with a hydrovane. And the only difference is you have to give it a little extra. Um, you use the ship's rudder to counteract weather helm. Right, right. That's, okay. that's the only yeah, difference. Yeah. The, 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 I mean, the, the long and short, I guess, is that, you know, the a servo pendulum wind vane uses the rudder that will that came with the ship. It was yeah. the rudder that was designed to steer the ship. Yeah. Uh, but you also have lines in your cockpit. You don't have necessarily an auxiliary rudder if your rudder just falls off one day. Well, no. No, but if you have the hydrovane, you don't have lines True. in your cockpit, and you do have an auxiliary rudder if your rudder falls off one day, but you have an appendage hanging off the back of your boat that is steering your boat. It is not being steered by the rudder that was designed by the architect to steer the boat. It is a appendage hanging off the back of your boat, which was not originally designed to have a rudder in that position. Right, right. So it doesn't work as well in in some <clears throat> senses, but it works perfectly fine at the same time. You just got to give it a little bit of wheel. You give it a little bit of ship's rudder yeah, to yeah, counteract. Yeah. And if the wind dies down, then you just ease up the wheel. You just turn the wheel back a little bit, you know? Well, and I, I end up sort of doing that with, with the wind vane in a way where you get it like dead straight in the middle, right. everything's all good. And then you get some weather helmets so you can, you can just adjust you the control lines yeah. a little bit, all that stuff. But right. I don't know. I, I, I love, love having the wind vane, obviously on a boat this big. Yeah. I can't you don't have, have yeah. You I got a garage door back there. Full on hydraulic. Do you have like full on like fishing boat sort of size? I have a fishing boat autopilot. There is yeah. a button on my autopilot to turn while dragging a net so you don't screw up your net. Nice. Yeah. I, I literally have a, like, I have like a large fishing boat autopilot. It's called ComNav. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I also have to have a DGPS or GNSS instead of a Fluxgate compass because I sail so far north that uh, the magnetic, I get too close to the magnetic North Pole Yeah. and compasses don't work. So this right, year in the right. Northwest Passage, I think it was like 263 in every direction or something. <laughs> and the compasses just stop working. So your autopilot stops working. So you have to have a satellite compass 
that gets its positioning through you know uh, you know triangulation of various satellites, yeah. which is expensive as shit. It's like a three thousand dollar stupid thing. Couldn't you just rely on your GPS? Uh, well, it is a like in a NEMA sort of way, you know, right? Like you get like a Raymarine, Raystar one twenty five antenna, and use like the NEMA. Uh, either NEMA 2000 or something like that. Yeah, or, yeah, or the yeah. old, what is it, 0183 or whatever it is. And somehow <laughs> yeah, tap, yeah, yeah, tap that bitch that. into that shit. And <laughs> no, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> Sounds great, but no, no, it doesn't work. It, um, and you got to oh, have so it. It's up there on the side of the pie. It's long. It looks, you know, it's this long paddly looking thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, I have, I have a hydraulic, you know, it's my, my rudder is the size of a queen size bed. Well, at least a, it's bigger than a twin bed. Yeah. Like you and I could door. you and I could sleep on the rudder in, you know, I mean I wouldn't be comfortable with it. We might have to drink a bit. But <laughs> you hear me snoring, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I would be snoring. But we'd have room, is what I'm saying. I'm saying two dudes could sleep on my rudder yeah, and yeah, they wouldn't right. be right up on top of each, uh, each other's shit. It's a giant rudder. My rudder's massive. So yeah, I've got I've got all hydraulics. And if you're going to go autopilot, you know, a hydraulic, you can do hydraulic autopilot on smaller boats too. Yeah, uh, you yeah, don't yeah. have to do the linear drive unit, uh, and you're you're better off with the hydraulics if you can go that route. Well, that that stuff stands up to longevity is a really big thing. Is I mean, compared to some of the I obviously the rinky dink little ones you would strap straight onto your helm. Yeah, those are a joke. Those are absolutely. I've never actually been on a boat that we've utilized one of those and it has not broken to pieces like immediately. Yeah, I made it about halfway to the Caribbean one time with one of those on a thirty-seven pier. I, I delivered a thirty-seven Pearson. With a self-tacking jib. It was an odd animal. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Kind of like an island packet. No, but it didn't have a cutter. It was like the only jib was self-tacking. Oh, wow. But it had this really, it had like a... Custom bend. mod, probably. Maybe. It was re- actually really well done. And I'm not a big fan of this of that style at all. But it yeah, had like, like a, a rail, like a, like a heavy stainless rail that was lifted above the deck. And it was like uh, flared out. Like it had camp, reverse camber. I don't know what you call it. But it was bent out. And it had this car that rode perfectly on it. And because it, it wasn't a straight, uh, like a track. Normally you see these things on like a, you know, they're like a straight, uh, like a traveler track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was, this was a stainless tube that was bent out, flared on both sides. And it had this car that rode up and down it. And it did a great job, but it had that stupid, you know, wheel pilot thing on it. Yeah. And it was, you know, and it made it about halfway to the Caribbean and it shit the bed. Yeah. And, uh, and there's no taking those things apart. Like they have all those bearings in them and stuff. I remember watching a captain do that in my early days. And this guy, it was one of those where I was like, I don't think we should take that apart. And he popped it open with a screwdriver and just bearings just shot all over the place. Well, the motor on it's tiny. If you look at it. So basically I, I would definitely suggest buying one of those wheel pilots if you have a wind vane because if you have a wind vane you're not going to work when you're motoring yeah so that works great motoring that thing mm-hmm. will motor you to the end of the earth i have i have one of those little tiller pilot tiller pro things oh yeah yeah sure. but obviously on on sparrow that tiller is so heavy like if there's even a little bit of swell and it's dead calm i can't i can't use it it'll rip that thing right in half i had one on the vega and it broke pretty quick I yeah, didn't try oh, using I it. I was yeah. down by the the intertropical convergence zone in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. You ever just lose your shit? Sometimes I lost my shit on that thing. I picked it up by the end and I was ah, dude, I, I lost the shit out of it. Well, on that that water maker, because I tried to fix it like three or four times to the to the tune of like hooking up turnbuckles to it to try and pressure keep the pressure from mm-hmm. blowing it apart. And that third time, 
after it, it blew pack apart, I, I lost it. Yeah, I lost it big time. It's still there. It's still in the Indian Ocean. <laughs> yeah, well, fragments of my uh, tiller pilot, I'm sure, are still somewhere in the Pacific. <laughs> yeah, I got some solar panels 400 miles northeast of Bermuda. They're new. <laughs> well, you know, you, they, so you went out there to do this easy trip. You got flipped upside down. Yeah. Day seven. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So but they, here, here was the thing. And that, this is, I guess, going back to our original thing about uh, being hove to or riding out of the storm. Cause I, you know, I, I put all these videos out on YouTube about it and, and got 80 million armchair explorers telling me what I was doing wrong and all this and that. Right, Obviously right. none of them, that's why you can't read ever the comments. In, yeah, I don't read any of that. Like, yeah. But um, I, it wasn't until – that was just one oddball wave, right? And that hit at the perfect time, perfect way, blah, blah, blah. But the next day when I got into the thick of a really the, – the real eddy that I was in, I started seeing 20-footers with another 10 feet of breaking, boiling wave racing down the front. So I'm looking oh, at breaking portions of these waves that are bigger than my boat – thundering down the front of these steep waves and i was like there's not if i get hit by one of those there's nothing i can do i'm getting rolled multiple times i'm gonna lose the mass probably sink and um all i knew is that i needed to get out of that area and the only thing i could do is just keep running with the wind because i was gonna be the fastest escape right so that was where the situation and i i think to answer your question the situation always is going to dictate whether you hove to or run with the storm hove to or run with the storm if i would have got hit by any of those waves it would have been a disaster right so it wouldn't have mattered i don't and and i know there's people that i'm sure would be like well if you're hove to you have better chances or whatever but then i would have been in that eddy around those waves no, for a lot I don't, longer i agree 100 yeah i so, get the hell out of the current yeah i know i completely agree i think the, the, the hove to versus running is like in a you know um you know, sort of in the Petri dish thing, right? Like if you had identical uh, uh, space in the ocean with identical depth and, and zero current and, yeah. you know, and identical wind speed, you know, and you tell it's blowing 60 in this, it's blowing 60 in this, in this same exact spot, and I can heave to this time, and I can do this at that time, run this time. What's, what's going to be the better option under those circumstances? When you're in a, a wind opposing a current, it's one of the most hazardous situations you can Dude, be in. Dude, it's in a the total ocean. game change. Watching those swell come up, and then all of a sudden the face just drops, and it just decides to either break or not break, and you're just clueless as to which one it's going to be. Like that was, I it, it was going on like that for about three hours, and I was literally, I was like, if I make it out of this day, I'm going to be really lucky. So I just sat there and I watched, and I just watched <laughs> it because there was not, there was literally nothing I could do. I was just totally, it was like a, a throw of the dice. and uh, But I, you know, I don't know if when, when you read Sailing a Serious Ocean by John Kretschmer, you know him? I, I know John. I haven't read his book, but I, I know that, John you, is a legend. John's that, great. He, he talks about a lot of it, and his, his preference is to, rather than hove to, he'll, he'll run before a gale until it gets too out of control, and then he likes to foreach. He's like yeah, hope to. He's before. like I, I, you know, and that's what I, I kind of do, typically a little bit in between. I hove to, but I'm moving at about a, a knot, in mm-hmm. about sixty degrees to seventy degrees off the wind. I full reach for the drogue once. Oh really? How's that for an odd one? <laughs> I do. And how fast would you end up going then? 
Pretty damn slow. Like half an odd or something? Because <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, hove to the, the big I, I premise ex- of I that. I get experimental every once in a while. What can yeah, I, say? I, I tried I tried to, because um, I, I have a hard time getting Spirit to completely stall when I'm hove to. She's always just moving no, a yeah. little. Yeah, they're going to move. And I wanted to yep. see if I could get that slick that they talk about. Yeah, the and, Lynn, Lynn and Larry parties. Like, yeah, and right. I've the only I I remember towing. I had some buckets on the boat, and I tied those off, and I tried to tow those, but they'd never stay the right side to mm-hmm. really slow me out because I don't have a parachute anger or drove or anything like that, and because uh, there's so much. There's so many whisker stays and bob stays on on a west sail. You can and, run a parachute sea anchor if you do it uh, straight off the bow, not the Lynn and Larry version. Yeah. I don't do I don't do the Lynn and Larry. I put it straight off the bow. It's uncomfortable as shit. It's like I can't even tie off to anchor. a mooring without chafing going on. It's awful. Like <laughs> you got to use chain on the boat side. Yeah, the, the west sails. West sails like yeah. it's one of those things. Boat. You don't. You got a long. You got a long full keel. Yeah, and a heavy double ender. Like know, that boat because that boat it can, can scream can down yeah, down exactly. waves. It's it's a it's it's made for that shit. So I guess I guess the end all be all answer, which I think is the only real wise one, because when I see people's videos and things like that, where they're like, "This is what you need to do," and I'm like, if if this doesn't come with a disclaimer that says every sea condition is different and you gotta know your own boat, well then I know that people don't know what they're talking about, but. It's always going to depend on what the seas are doing and what type of boat it is and all that sort of stuff. So it's there's no answer to that question. I don't think. Uh, that's good. Well, but you're right. You can always share your own experience. Well, there's also some boats that don't heave two for shit. Yeah, you know, exactly. The, the A lot of the modern draft, boats and bottom, stuff. production yeah, yeah. boats, they're not going to heave two for shit. Right. What so, does this boat do? Well, I've got a pretty modern... Uh, Bruce Roberts redesigned this in 99. That guy who originally uh, had the boat half-built or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, pay Bruce Roberts. It takes no, most uh, Bruce Roberts sixty five is a New York sixty five. Probably like ninety five percent of them. Oh, they make okay. a narrow and a wide hull, but they're they're still the same basic thing. Yeah. They, he also made something called a Voyager six five five, which very few are made. Like, uh, and this was so. I think I've heard of that. He one took the before. Voyager six five five and redesigned it. This is a Voyager six five zero. This is the only one ever built because well, he, probably he I've redesigned it. it for for uh, for that guy. But it's. Um, and that's why it's a big honker. And I mean, even for for sixty, if I had seventy two overall, it's sixty five on deck, and it's a hundred thousand pounds empty. You know, we're probably sitting at one hundred ten thousand right now. You know, with a beer. I and have they in my just fridge. gave you this. Well, the guy they gave the research. They technically the ocean. O- yeah, I don't project. own the boat. The nonprofit owns the boat. But um, smart. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I would love to own the boat, honestly, but I mean, it's not the point, right? I mean, it's a, you're running a nonprofit. Yeah, it's not yeah, about yeah. you and it's not about money. It's it's all about, you know, the mission. Right, right, right. But um, uh, yeah, the guy had it built. Um, I mean, it's a story. I guess I Bruce Roberts redesigned his Voyager 655. Mm. The guy's name was Zan with a Z. Uh, anybody's born in America. Now, yeah. Zan is John in Dutch. Oh. <laughs> All right. Now, he, had, he must have had pretty strong uh, ties. Maybe his parents, I don't know anything about it, but maybe his parents were like, uh, you know, immigrated from Holland or something into America. It's just a guess. Why, why is his name Zan? Yeah. Uh, but the point is that who makes the best metal boats on planet Earth? Uh, steel, not aluminum. Because right, aluminum, right. you could argue the French with aluminum pretty well. 
Uh, the French Lake Boreals. There's a Boreal right over there in a mooring field right now. It, you know, it's, it's sitting there at two million dollar, yeah, and, yeah, and at fifty-one right. feet or something. Kind of <laughs> looks like shit. I ain't gonna lie, because it gets streaks <laughs> down the hull. It doesn't look like much. But the aluminum it, boat does. Yeah, well, the aluminum boat's without a paint job. Oh, oh over yeah, time, yeah, it gets, so you go look about. at that Boreal, yeah, and it's yeah, only yeah. about a four. I know I sold that guy. He doesn't know that I know him, but I know him because <laughs> I sold his last boat. He had a thirty-four foot aluminum boat, and I sold it to some guys from Argentina. Uh, he just doesn't know that. And then he bought this Boreal. He he was one of the editors of Sail Magazine. He married a very wealthy woman. And that's why he has a very fancy boat. But um, who's that's not Peter, is it? I don't I don't know. But uh, but uh, but I'm I'm somehow in the mix. But anyways, yeah, yeah. so the Dutch make uh, incredible uh, steel boats. The Dutch still have these big factories that can roll steel. Uh, normally in the United States, we have hard shine boats. And yeah, um, it's all panels, right? Yeah, well it's all panels. You, you can't roll up. You can't make a steel boat look like a fiberglass boat under the water line with a perfectly rounded hull mm-hmm. uh, very easily. So in the Netherlands, they have these big factories that can still do that. So all the plans went to the Netherlands, and they took the plans and made it like reality, essentially. Mm-hmm. How are we going to have all the the structural, you know, uh, you know, whatever the whatever infrastructure stringers and bulkheads and you know everything else they they put that into the design mm. and then they shipped it back to a, a guy in the southern chesapeake bay uh, named howdy bailey howdy motherfucking bailey yeah and um <laughs> who's like 95 hey, years uh, old this is this is sailing into oblivion podcast we try not to swear on this one yeah good no. <laughs> good, good fucking luck <laughs> Anyways, sorry sorry, howdy howdy bailey. So, sorry audience bailey. no it's okay. sorry people <laughs> So, Gosh darn see it. that was that was a throwback from an old podcast. Yeah, right? yeah, I know, I know, but, but I know. I, was... I, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I'm a. So, fan. anyways, Howdy Bailey was in Norfolk. Norfolk is the home of the Atlantic Fleet, which means that's where the head of the Navy is, and yep. that's where they build a lot of Navy boats. So, when people who are building aircraft carriers, destroyers, and submarines wanted overtime, they would go to Howdy Bailey and they would build steel sailboats you know, larger steel sailboats. Oh. So then this kit came over from the Netherlands and it was welded together by the same guy who welds, you know, the same people who weld our Navy essentially. And wow. then the guy was going to finish the boat himself and he never did. And, um, and yeah. And so it sat abandoned for 18 years in the C and D canal without, with the same zincs or no zincs. So it had tons oh, of electrolysis. Really? I, yeah. I spent like a year just welding pock marks and, Luckily, there's a couple of welders that came and helped during that process that are way better. Three of them, actually, that are way better. Uh, two of them from Alaska. I had a surprising amount of people from Alaska come help me uh, work on this boat. It was kind of random being in Maryland. Hmm. But um, but anyways, uh, we spent three years in a boatyard, two years in a boatyard, three years total, because I had a fundraise also yeah, to get yeah, the yeah. money to do it. And, uh, and then we built this thing. So, yeah, she's a total one-off. And then all the interior is made of solid cherry. There's no veneer in this boat. Everything is solid wood, and uh, I think I remember that from watching some of the videos of you working on it and stuff. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, you go down below in this thing, and it really is. Uh, it's nice, and it's I, you know, it's actually in a lot of ways, it's kind of reminiscent of uh, of Sparrow, where it has the white paneling. It's it's not one of those most west sails. It's just wall to wall teak or mahogany, so yeah. it's super dark. You don't want that, and, my, and it's like a cave. Windows. My windows are not. I mean, I've got an, I've got windows on the boat in various places for let light in. Yeah, but yeah. This, is, this boat was originally built for the Arctic, so the guy wanted to sail this boat to the Arctic. It was made for the Arctic, uh, and so you got to think. You know, there's six inches of insulation, uh, four inches of blown 
insulation to really the insulation. Wow. so you can see where those hatches are right there you see how, how much more oh yeah yeah, yeah well there's yeah. like another six inches going up that's all insulation above here i could have like seven <clears> foot headroom in here if you if you would actually strip it all the way to the hall well I, I, it's just it's, you know the funny thing is i told this guy you know he was getting in his late 70s at the time and he was starting to have real health issues and and he had been sitting on this project for 18 years he didn't abandon abandon it but mm-hmm. it sat you know pretty flipping yeah, abandoned for a long time and, and, yeah yeah super and and nothing you know i ain't trying to give a dude a hard time but but um so you know he he donates his boat to the nonprofit. I'm like, look, you know, I sail in the Arctic. We go up, we do research, we do climate research, map uncharted fjords, and glacier, study glaciers, and uh, and uh, and I'm like, man, you know, when I get this boat finished, because you know, that's what he wanted somebody that's going to appreciate it. He's going to sail it off to the Arctic and and uh, saw the potential of the boat. And of course, I got on board, even though it had no interior. Mm-hmm. It had a hull, it had masts, it had a bunch of old systems. I had to pull the masts out and redo everything on them, but still, I could see like massive potential. Yeah, and he saw that I saw that, and that's why he donated it. it took like nine months to get him to donate it because there's one thing to talk about; it's another thing to sign the paperwork. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. anyways, so all that happens, and we're finally there. He signs the paperwork, and I'm like, I'm gonna build this boat out, man. I'm gonna make this a beautiful boat. I'm gonna sail it to the Arctic. I, I would love for you to come join me. You know, come join me in the Arctic. He's like, Nah, man, it's it's too cold. I'm like, it's too cold. What the fuck do you mean it's too cold? You built this for the Arctic, dude. So, so he, he never joined me. Unfortunately, he had a he had a stroke not long after, and uh, he doesn't remember who has the boat. Like he lost oh, he lost his mental facility. I I would never was able to show him a finished boat. Really? Yeah, I don't. Uh, well, if I showed it to him, I don't know if he would. Maybe he would snap him out of it. But he's in a home. He's in a home in Delaware. I could like go break him out of it. Like how do I get him out? Yeah, of it? right. I, you know, but but yeah, and he's in his eighties and he's he's in poor shape, but. But anyways, yeah, it's uh, I, I was very fortunate. This boat is a great boat for the, doing the research that we're doing and, and having all the science equipment, the, the scientists, the sailors, you know, five-month expeditions and, and, and so on. It's um, Well, and it, it's all for, I, I truly think, a, a really worthy cause. I mean, I you know, I go out and I do these trips because I want to go do them and I like doing this stuff. And I get to share the stories and I, I hopefully inspire people. I know you and I have talked both about that. But I mean, you you really uh, set the bar really high where it comes to, you know, essentially trying to make a little bit of a difference, actually putting yourself out there, not just for your own accomplishments, but for, you know, a betterment of everything. I mean, you're doing scientific research that I think really helps. And it's it's not every day that people selflessly do that, and it's it's not like it's some big money making thing for no, you by any yeah, means. You don't make and, any money, but and I yeah, I mean I you know it's just it really is it's it's pretty impressive uh, to see, and I I definitely when I when I see or listen to a podcast or I see some of the videos from last year's stuff and all that, I mean I'm always just like, geez, Jerome, you got to get your shit together. <laughs> well, it's you, know, you got to do something more than just go on your own little trip. It's nice to have your own trips, and I want to do another big single-handed trip myself for my own reasons. And yeah, I, yeah, you know, but and I'd love to do that. But uh, and it's great to do traditional cruising, and you know that the whole like when I sailed alone from Annapolis to Europe, Africa, Caribbean, and back over two years, that was kind of somewhat of a normal cruising scenario. It wasn't normal to do it single-handed and blah blah blah, but it's normal in a sense where you show up in a port. You hang out. If you like the place, you stay a little longer. If yeah. not, you go to the next port, the next country, the next continent, you know, and you just keep going along in that sort of, you know, no real plan, cruisy sort of mentality, you know, and uh, and that's great and that's lovely. 
And I think a lot of people who are out there sailing, at least that I've bumped into, and, and I hope this is changing with more younger people getting involved, but uh, generally it's people who are older and are retired and, and you know, they had this dream of sailing. And, and for those people, look, man, I mean, you work your ass off your entire life. Just go have fun. Buy a yeah. boat and go have fun. Don't do it before it's too late. Yeah, and don't but don't worry about working and doing like meaningful blah blah blah. You've already done meaning. You probably had like a family, you probably like raised kids, you probably did all sorts of meaningful shit in your life. You know, just enjoy the what you got left and just go have some fun. Drink some wine in Spain, <laughs> sitting on anchor looking at a sunset. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah, I came yeah. back from a trip around the Americas, I was thirty years old. So, yeah. you know, it was like it was like, all right, well, I got my whole life ahead of me. And I, you know, and I've done like the cruisy thing. I've sailed the whole East Coast, United States, the Bahamas and, and you know, this, that, the other. And um, and yeah, I wanted to do more because I can because we all can. It's not that I'm special. If I can do it, anybody can at some level because I'm I've got a wide variety. I'm, I'm, yeah, but not everybody does. And that's that's what I think makes you special in a way is that it's just, you know, Anybody can do this. We all have the power to to sort of be a little selfless and put put uh, a certain percent of our energy towards something for the common good. But the vast majority of us don't do that. And uh, the fact that you do, I think, shouldn't be overlooked. And I'm not trying to like kiss your ass or anything like that. But it is when I look at what you do and what I do, and we're both sailors. There's vast difference, and uh, it's very impressive to see it, and it's inspirational to me. No, so, I appreciate that. But I take I think it for what you will. I, I would also state that the you know long distance single handed sailing is inspirational too. That, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, because it can show what the human mind, uh, the body to some lesser extent, but it's really mind. I mean, so, so much of of single handed ocean, especially oh, long distance, yeah. it's so much mental. You know, mm-hmm. it's such a mental battle at times, and it's mental strength and determination, perseverance. You could be four foot tall, you know, you could be in all sorts of different physical states, but if your mind is in the right place, you'll, you'll make it happen. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that people need to see that people need to understand that the, the capabilities uh, of humans are, you know, the sky is the limit and that we can do amazing things when we set ourselves to, to the goal. And, and I think it is inspirational. I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people trying to, uh, you know, through whatever your podcast, your book, one of my crew, Costa, uh, just recently on this thing, he read your book. He was like, I only read two books recently about sailing I liked. And one of them was your, he didn't know I know you. It was just random. <laughs> I was like, drawing around. I was like, yeah, about to, this motherfucker's about to show up my boat. He's going to interview me later, like tomorrow. He's like, what? You know? But yeah, no, you're a good it, writer. And, and Nick was showing me. I told you, Nick Radka. Hey, Nick Radka. Hey, shout out, Nick. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Nick loves you. But um, but he was playing some of your audio book, which you do yourself. You uh, yeah, do the narration yeah, yeah. of it. And uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm a little jealous. I ain't gonna lie. You got a you got a good writing style. I'm I'm a shit. I, there's I a tried, reason my book ain't out yet. Yeah, I'm well, a shit writer. Hey, <laughs> I, I literally I was I was very fortunate. I wanted to, and I succeed. Like I I wanted to write a round the world sailing book that was like a fast read. Most people that read it, even people that don't read much at all, they're like, well, I'll read it because it's you, and they'll come back like three days later and be like, dude, I read your whole book. It's the first book I've read in 20 years. No, oh, wow. They're like, it was great. I was like, well, I tried to make it like fast. And you know, it's the interesting thing. It's, it's a style of writing. It is. It it, is. It's well, descriptive. There's the proper use of adjectives. I mean, it's it's the whole like, it took I went a while down to below get it, like, and I grabbed the yeah, thing. And yeah. I don't know. It makes you feel like you're there. 
But I, you I know, have a there hard were, time with that. There were also little things like, you know, I wanted to do a whole bunch of short chapters. And I'll tell you one thing, because I know you're you're working on your book and stuff. I when I went to try and get a publishing company to to or a, a literary agent to then find a publisher and stuff, I sent that out. I wasted like a year and a half trying to do that. They were all like, "You need to change this. You need to change this, <laughs> this." And I and finally, I was like, I thought about uh, Motissier because I don't think he even let. The publishers edit his books. No, I don't think so. Yeah, and the long I was way like, is a pure. Book yeah, and I was like, you know what? I mean, this is probably the only book I'm ever gonna ever gonna write, and it's my trip, and it's such a a unique little niche. I mean, yours is even more because so f- even fewer people have done that, and it's like, and the fact that you're the first person to do it, but like, it's um, yeah, make it your own, and to hell with anybody who doesn't. If they if anybody tries to change it, and you want it a certain way. Dude, just self-publish it on Amazon, dude. It won't well, yeah, and we're thing. in an era where, like, I you had a do that, I had a yeah. publishing company try to give me, you know, a deal for the book. Oh, for the rights? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they want to give me two grand, and they're going to give me. They wanted the rights to everything. They wanted oh, the like they wanted movie the movie rights. rights. Yeah. yeah, and the motherfucking Ooh, movie had already I, been made. Red Dot the Ocean was kind of like four years, five years <laughs> at that point. It was like, dude, where are you guys at? Like this, this. You want the rights? They want a criminal. They're they wanted, criminal. In they that wanted game. half of the money for yeah. every public speaking event I would do. They would mention the trip around America for the rest of my life. Half <laughs> the money of every speaking gig. Yeah. Dude, that's gonna be like that, that's gonna be your retirement fund. Well, I mean. it was just like, yeah, I was like, no, this is ridiculous. Yeah, and then the problem smart. at the end of the day is they still won't promote your book because it, the thing about giving money to an author from a publishing standpoint, let's say they give you fifty thousand uh-huh. dollars, which is a nice chunk to say the least, right? Yeah, yeah. All that's right. A nice little, so it's um, not as much bonus. about the fact. That you just got fifty grand uh, for your 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 book, you know. Uh, it's about the fact that they have invested in you, and then they want to make their money back, uh-huh. so they're going to promote you. So now they have to promote the book. Now they have to get their money back. Mm-hmm. And if they give you two grand, well, what the what is two grand? Nothing. Yeah, so they're not going to promote it. You're going to end up promoting your own book. Doing all the legwork, and they're just going to take. And they're going to give you five yeah. percent or something. You know, North to the Night, Alva Simon. He wrote a book about sailing up to the Arctic and trapped in the uh, oh, ice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was getting like sixty cents per book that was sold, and they were yeah, selling them for fifteen dollars right. a pop, and he was getting sixty cents. And you could find it at the airport. Uh, you know, the little bookstores they used to have at the airports. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do. You could. It's like the only sailing book in history that wound up one of those. I know. Things. I would love to have my book on that. Yeah, but you're getting <laughs> you're getting sixty cents. Uh, you know, he was getting nothing. He was yeah, getting, he yeah, was yeah. getting nothing. They, they were they were getting all the money. They had all the rights and and all the rest. So we live in a time now where unless you're uh, oh, who's the lady who wrote Harry Potter? What the hell is that lady's name? Oh, J.K. Rowling. Now he wrote uh, the. Didn't he write Game of Thrones? Or was he? Oh no, she wrote that. What was the Game of Thrones one? I don't know the Game of Thrones. Well, anyway, one. anyways, whatever the hell these people are, if they wanted to write a book tomorrow, well, yeah, I mean, you know, they they'd be getting yeah, like, yeah. you know, you know, if J.K. Rowling or whatever showed up, <laughs> it was like, I got a new, I got an idea. It's a new book, and I'm not going to tell you nothing. I'm not going to give you the first yeah. draft. And or I want, Matthew McConaughey. I want or Obama, ten million on it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, and that's why I mean, and I, I obviously, I'm not an expert in any way, but like I, you know, I. Part of the reason I self-published on Amazon was that, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Amazon. What's the name? What's the name of the book? Sailing into Oblivion. All right. Um, but I did that because it didn't cost me anything. I could buy authors' copies for not very much money, and they would just sell it, and all I had to do was promote it. And you know, they Jeff takes his cut. 
He's right. got a boat, and he needs to pay for new yeah, sails, too. Yeah, he's got too. a big boat. He's but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it costs a lot to run that boat. I mean, come on now. I'll give, give you some sympathetic over here, man. You know how much fuel that burns? <laughs> Once you get it done, it's out there, and it'll sell. And because it's such a unique niche thing, no matter what, all the publishers told me that I wasn't going to sell shit. And that book, it's been how's on it Amazon been? for four doing? years now. It yeah. still sells almost every single day. All right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to make a million dollars off it unless I go on like Joe Rogan's podcast. But like, still, it's gonna. I'm pretty sure. Refit money. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I it kept it kept me from having to sell the boat for about two years when I wasn't making anything else. So, and the nice part is when I do do these presentations and stuff like that, uh, we always sell the book afterwards. So it's definitely. I, I I guess the reason I'm going on is that I'm hoping that. You slice some time out so you can finish yours, because yeah, I know it'll I'm be. Getting cl- I mean, I'm. I'm it You're gonna. I'm it's, getting there. It's it, the problem for me is in a, in a self publishing situation. Yeah, and that's only recommendation. Well, I mean, that's what I'm. I'm doing. sure I'm a, you'll no, have more I, people. I, that I agree. Want no, I don't want to. I'm not gonna do that. No. Why? Why the fuck would I give most of my money, all my rights to some publishing company that's gonna give me nothing? Right. It's right. gonna give me, and they're not gonna. It's not even that. Beth Leonard told me this years ago, and Beth Leonard uh, sailed around the world twice. Built a Vanderstadt Samoa 48 out of aluminum with her husband, sailed around the world, oh, wrote, wow. uh, I think it's like the Voyager's Handbook or the, she wrote one of the best sailing how-to handbooks like in history. Mm. Uh, she's like, like, it's like a PhD textbook. Like, it's oh, like, you feel right. like, you're, you feel like you're getting your PhD in sailing. Like, she gave the best lectures I've ever heard of heavy weather sailing in my, like, literally you feel like you're in college getting like Neil deGrasse Tyson of like sailing, you know, it yeah, was just yeah, that yeah. detailed. And um, and she said, uh, if I get all the rights back from my books, I would. And the reality is that nowadays you have to promote your books, even though they get the rights. Yeah, and that's yeah, the yeah. key. It's like and that's that fifty thousand dollar thing I'm talking about. It has nothing to do with the money. It has to do with the fact that now they've invested in you. They have to promote it. Right. Right. And and, and if they're not going to promote your book, why not self-publish at that point? It doesn't make any sense yep. because you're going to you're going to do the same amount of work and you're going to get a fraction of the money. And then you can keep it exactly how you want it to be so that it's right, your right, right, too. it's your stamp. Right. Ooh, we got some wake. Yeah. I'm getting a little seasick. It, you know, yeah. I've been sparrows <laughs> on the hard down there in North Carolina. So I'm not used to this motion. Well, hey, I, I, I hope only to yeah, like I said, to fire you up to get that thing. No, out it's there. there. I'm sitting on it a little bit. If I, I, I think I gotta I gotta pick the right time to put it out, I think. If I put it out tomorrow. Uh, some people who listen to my podcast would buy it or something like that. And then you'd kind of fizzle out from there. It's like, I'm trying to do another big nonstop single-handed trip. Mm -hmm. And I figure like the best thing for me to do probably is to have that book ready, like, like loaded in the chamber. You know, I got one in the chamber Yeah, right when I leave, bam, shoot that shit off. And then, and then, cause you're always going to get more people following a big, crazy single-handed trip than a, a research expedition. You know, from my yeah, experience, I would think so. Yeah, 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 by far, in my experience, if you get if you if yeah, you've I, got Starlink and you can do a couple of well, no, I mean, Trip Around the Americas, I didn't have any of that shit. I know, and but it's far, a different world now, it's man. A, it was a far more people followed that thing than any of the research expedition. And I don't blame it. I'm not trying to complain. I understand. Yeah, I understand yeah. the the draw and appeal of one versus the other, but um, but it would be good to write another book. I think what I'm going to do about all the crazy 
research expeditions, which would be a good like mid expedition drop. So yeah, now you got a yeah. second one in chamber. Now you're halfway through. If you make it halfway, right, you might die. But yeah, if you make it halfway, I I'll just give it. I give it to my sister. Put it in my will. It's release, so <laughs> you take all the money. But um, but if not, like halfway, bam. And then if you're, I don't know if I can do it. Actually, writing the book would be really interesting to me, which I've never done. Is try to actually write a book in real time. Because oh, yeah, one of the yeah. things I've never, but it, one of the things I've always respected about writers that I've never been able to do is when you read a book somebody wrote after an expedition and they write it in the manner as if they're writing it from the moment that it happened to them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't know how to bring myself back in time and make it's it feel... where you got to have that journal, man. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I don't... I can't even read my own handwriting. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, it, that is pretty <laughs> tricky, but you got to be diligent. Going around because I spoke into something. So, like, on that red dot in the ocean, my camera, when my boat went upside down in the Bering Sea, my camera uh-huh. broke. I only had one pissy camera. Yeah, and then yeah. the rest of it, you hear audio, and that's from the trip. I was speaking into, my, my oh, journal no was way. me speaking wow. into a shitty microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I didn't do a captain's log. My captain's log was speaking instead of writing. So it'd always start off the same. It'd be like, all right, I'm, I'm at this latitude, longitude, wind speed, direction, this many miles over 24 hours, all the oh, basic. Wow. And then I would talk about like whatever happened that day. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And I'd try to do it every single day. And um, and a lot of them are dry as shit. Some of them aren't. It depends oh, yeah, on yeah, where yeah. Some of them are like breaking down. You know, like, yeah. oh, motherfucker. And you, hear it, <laughs> you know, and you hear it in the red down the ocean, but you're seeing, instead of seeing footage of me, you're seeing like a picture or something, you know, because it's a, or B-roll of something. Because my camera broke. Yeah, But yeah, they yeah. still had audio for me on the boat during the expedition because that's how I did it. So, today, I did yoga and it yeah, today brought me I, to I tears. I did yoga and tears. I knew it happened. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to all of us. You can't do yoga on an open there, there has to have been some point on some journey somewhere. I know it's happened to me where you look out in that world and something hits you pretty hard and you just tear up a little. Uh you can admit it here. It's all right. Don't no, worry. No, I mean, Nobody's look, I mean, for the you. first time, I want to tell you the truth, Jerome. I want you to know <laughs> the real me. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, man. I don't. I don't know. I don't. Uh, there's great moments, but I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I don't know about hey, you ever cry on any of those trips. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's been a few times. There's I, I think the one where I was just broken was. Uh, down just past New Zealand, Hurricane Gita was bearing down, uh, and my computer just broke. So I couldn't download the weather. And I was becalmed, but there was like 10, 12-foot swell. Boats just getting rattled around. It was foggy, and I literally just I reached a breaking point. And there was like nothing I could do. I couldn't turn back to New Zealand. I had no computer anymore. Sitting on the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> um, again, this was back in the day, but uh, yeah, no, that was that was one where I like broke that broke me. But yeah, I you know when the albatross, all that. So I don't even like to talk about that. That was pretty rough. Um, what happened with the albatross? Let me you'd have now. to read the book. Um, well, God damn it! You know, I, you know I don't read. Well, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, Where's uh, the what, what, what the what the come on? No, no, I I don't. All right, can I tell you that. my bird story, my sad bird story? I know your is that the one where you tried to eat it? No, that's a different. That one wasn't less. I mean, it all the Tabasco in the world wouldn't get rid of that nasty <laughs> I know, flavor. That's not the sad bird story. I got okay, another okay. sad bird story. <laughs> this one's like a tearjerker. Like, yeah, serious. Sure. Like I didn't cry when it happened, but I mean, it was a tearjerker. All right, so I've been in, I've been alone in the ocean for like two hundred some days, maybe two hundred sixty days, something like that, roughly. And it was in the South Atlantic, 
coming up. And it's nice weather. And I'm just sitting out there kind of, I don't know, you've been out there a long time, just kind of staring out, zoning out in the ocean. Yeah. And this little land-based bird, you know, you, know, you get those land-based birds versus the uh, ocean birds. You know, land-based birds will land on your boat. Ocean birds don't land on your boat. They mm-hmm. just, just fucking fly around. And I was kind of close to Brazil at the time, sort of. I think that's where it came from. Anyways, it landed right next to me, like a foot away from me. And, I, you know, it's been so long. I've been out there, and I didn't have a lot of interaction. You know, you, you see fish or whales or whatever once in a while or something. Every once in a while, a creature kind of have that bonding moment with that creature. But this thing was right next to me. Mm-hmm. And then, and I'm sort of, I'm like, oh, look, oh my God, look at this little bird, little cute little bird, you know, walking around chirping and stuff. And I'm feeling all happy. You know, uh-huh. my God, look at me. I'm like hanging out with a bird. Cute I got little a buddy. bird. Yeah, Woo. I got a buddy. Woo. And, um, and it was there for like a good, like probably at least a half hour at least. Now I had a Rutland uh, wind generator. And that's all I had left at this point. Uh, my solar panels had broken uh, long before my engine was broken. The mm-hmm. only power I had was that Rutland wind generator. So anyways, we're sitting there and um, hanging out with this bird. And, and it is magical magical experience uh being being part of the ocean and and being alone for so long and and having this this friend you know and it promptly flew directly into the wind generator and it the wind generator hit it and it fucking lobbed it it bounced it off the floor of my cockpit so hard it was like bah and i saw it bounce and fly right over the lifelines like in like a split second like it flew it hit it the fucking bah like body slammed it into my like right next to me in my cockpit and I'm just sitting there like petrified, like, oh my God. What have I done? <laughs> well, I didn't do nothing. I mean, I'm just sitting there as a damn flew into my wind generator. Anyways, that was my thing. I mean, I didn't cry about it, but I was in shock. I was like, holy shit. Oh, I'm sure. I sat there for a minute, like, you know, frozen, like, what, <laughs> what happened? I, I tried to look overboard to see if I could see it in the wake or something. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see it in the wake. It was, it, it was the end of that bird. Well, I'm sure it didn't go to waste. But, you know, but I almost—I cried before my first single-handed transatlantic because I had—I kept having issues and issues, and I was like so geared up. And before I even left the Chesapeake, I was going north and then down this through the C&D Canal down to Delaware to yeah. sail over to. Uh, I was trying to get to Iceland. I never made it there. I made it to Ireland instead. But um, I had the uh, flax packing on my rudder shaft go out on me, which is Ooh. thank fucking god it went out on me in the Chesapeake and not in the ocean. Yeah, I actually right? really lucked out. But it kind of broke down, and I, I, I was, yeah, I cried out of frustration for that. But I never did once going around the Americas. There was no, I, I've learned to like, I don't know if I've learned to like that. That maybe that's not the right way to say it, but I maybe decided. I don't know. If you have high highs, you can have low lows emotionally. Yeah. You know, and if if I was like emotionally like a horse of blinders, I, I was like a kitty ride at an amusement park. You know, because if I if I if I allowed myself to get up high. Then it would be like a, a roller coaster, you know, potentially. Where if I was allowing myself wow. to get too happy, then I could go too yeah. sad. You know what I'm saying? Right. I didn't want to feel that spectrum, so I stayed emotionally neutral through that entire trip. And um, and there was obviously good times and bad times, and times where you, you ah, I yeah, scream, you smash yeah, yeah. this or whatever it is. I mean, that all happened. Beautiful moments with birds before they die in your wind generator or whatever it is, right? You <laughs> you have these you have these these, these situations, but I kept myself in like in that in that kind of neutral emotionally neutral sort of uh realm you trained your brain into that i guess yeah, yeah. It just i just was i was able to stay there so i never i never had uh too high of a higher and therefore i never had too low of a low so therefore i never like cried about anything but i had accepted death too in a it was in a it was in a very good place before i left in a bad place 
it took a bad place to make a good place. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I had a lot of there was a lot of a fucked up emotional baggage going into that trip that allowed me or helped me. I had nothing to lose. Yeah, you yeah. know. So therefore, but at the same time, even if you got nothing to lose, doesn't mean you're gonna face death like. Bring it on. Yeah, yeah. If I live, I live. If I die and die, fuck it. I'm going to go for it. And then nothing's going to stop me or, or it will or whatever. You know, if it's going to stop me, it's going to sink me essentially. Yeah. So I was able to, to remain in that, in that, in that area. And I don't know. I think, I think I would probably do be able to get back in there if I did it again. It would be nice. It would be really nice. I'd really like to do another, I'd like to spend a year alone in the ocean again. That would be wonderful. And go through, I love to do the figure eight. I'd, I'd really like to give that a whack. Because after going around Cape Horn, I thought about it. Yeah, you know, right. and I, and I, well, I checked. I spent going. two days. I, I went through all my supplies, went through all my food. Like I went, I spent two days like seeing if I could do it. And I came back like Matt, you idiot. Yeah, like, you're both been taking on water yeah, for like four thousand. Right. I was miles. gonna say, like, dude, that like, you're gonna, you're, you're lucky if you're gonna make it back. You're, <laughs> you're like, just, just go, go back to Annapolis, dude. Yeah, yeah, so right. Like, all right, all right, fine. I'll, I'll go back to Annapolis, but. But yeah, I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't have made it in the Southern Ocean on that boat for that long. I spent, I don't know, whatever. I, I stayed below forty for a while. I think it was like five weeks or something like that. Mm. I stayed down there for a long time, uh, partially because at one point I was two hundred miles closer to New Zealand than I was to Cape Horn. Yeah, Born. yeah. So right. and then the other part was because over. when <laughs> I wanted, when I made that that when I turned north in the Southern Atlantic, I wanted to go due north. I wanted to make make a like a ninety degree turn essentially and go due north. I didn't yeah. want to run up the coast. I wanted to, to stay in the middle of the South Atlantic because the wind conditions were going to be more favorable if I was sort of out in the middle of it, essentially. Well, you got to get some good easting in because, you know, you still have to make it past the tip of Brazil. Yeah, I was like further north, yeah. 300 miles from South Georgia where Shackleton died before uh, I turned north. Like, right, I stayed right. down wow. there for a while. Yeah. Um, so whatever. I mean, the Southern I Ocean. I was like, get me north. Immediate. <laughs> <laughs> I almost went through that channel. There's there's an yeah, island. Yeah, like no, Staten, what they call Island. Staten Island. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I did not go. Yeah, I, I was like, the outside. it looks like a lot of currents in there. Who's that, who's that woman, that English single-handed girl who broke a bunch of records? God, do you know what I'm talking about? Dame in, Ellen MacArthur, Yes, maybe? Dame Ellen MacArthur. You ever hear her do a talk? Uh, she does a lot about single-use plastics. She used does to she? at least. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She did a talk about, I don't know, it's like, it was like one of these inspiration-y sort of talks mm-hmm. dealing with that trip, that, that, that circumnavigation she did. Yeah. Jesus Christ, she's a good speaker. I know. She's, she's really good. She makes me feel like a caveman or something. Well, she's you are a bit a, of a caveman. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably but true. But that's good. It's your own style, though. That's what you got to have. Well, yeah, well, you know, we all got to stay, stay exactly. with our roots. I'm so. telling you, one of these days, and, and I know I'm going to leave you here soon because I got to start getting out of here, but uh, um, I do think one of these days would be really cool to sit down and uh, get on stage with you and do a little q and I've always thought it'd be great to have the three R's, Rutherford, Rand, and Reeves. Yeah, you were Up talking on a about Q&A doing a panel. Yeah, we've we've missed the mark a little bit because there used to be uh, before I went around the Americas, there used to be like uh, national tours of yeah. speaking circuits with uh-huh. sailing. Yeah, and it it stopped like a year after I or a year before I got back or something. Like Cruising World and these magazines used to host it, and people would go around to different yacht clubs and and yeah. do this shit. I think they're, you know, maybe if especially we could do a next boat show. What you do a next boat show? I could easily set that up. I could set up that. I mean, I can get us the venue at the boat show at the very. Oh, you mean Annapolis? Yeah, it's the best boat show in the country. Should be. uh, And we might be able to get a. I got a double room this this year. It was like three hundred seating. I don't know what it was, but I got the double room. Well, I bet you I could get it. uh, uh, Chesapeake, uh, the the school of seamanship. I bet you I can. If you guys want to, I want to be here. I I do a talk because they give me a badge. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. Quite yeah. frankly, it's just it's my free way to get into the boat show. Is I do a talk. Well, I got other ways to do it, but, but well, I, 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 do I, talk I also I firmly believe that a lot of places would uh, would would pay for a panel like that. But you know, it, it, I'm learning just how difficult it is to actually piece together like a speaking tour. Um, I mean, this one I'm about to go finish this one up. I picked up another one in December down in Florida, but like you know, eight to ten talks over the last month and a half. And I'm doing it all on my own. It's not easy by any means, and it's not like a huge revenue thing until you get to like the level that Dame Ellen MacArthur is at. Yeah, I we'll mean, never, she's probably we'll never get in. there. I'm sorry. Dude. I think I will. Yeah, yeah, no, but, no, you know, no, you won't. No, you won't. Well, hey, I'm pretty yeah, good no. up on stage. You'd have to, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, almost all the ones I do are private. Uh, I'm sure I could maybe sneak somebody in at one point, but if I'm ever doing a talk, I think, I think in she's the area, smarter than both of us combined. Oh, she definitely is. But it's not about your smarts. It's about yeah, but in her message. English accent, she's got that great English accent. Just makes her seem, you know, the whole thing is perfect. You listen to her, and you're like, "Oh my God, what is this? Yeah, like, well, what have I been doing knows, with my knows. with my I'm, life?" I'm, I'm working on my uh, my sort of corporate uh, speaking stuff. Well, right why don't you now, just sail so. uh, to Greenland next year, and we could do podcasts all the time? Well, who knows? See, well, we'll you, see. I mean, I know you like doing it in person. I mean, how much more in person can you be? I know, I know. You can't. You won't be able to get away from know, me at that point. Knows. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you should be. <laughs> well, hey, can I ask you a favor? Um, uh-huh. Can you just do a shout out to my old man? He's he's a huge fan of yours and has been for a very long time. His name is Jim, and he's sailed on the. He's 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 a kindred spirit because uh, when we he set off on Mighty Sparrow when I bought it to sail from. From Jupiter, Florida, down to the BVI, it was the sea trial. That was the first time we ever took it. And we did that sea trial. After two, three days, we had sucked water into the diesel. Oh, shit. So we lost the engine. And we talked about pulling into the Bahamas because we were right there. And he was like, nah, just let's sail. It's a sailboat. His name Jim? Uh-huh, yep. Jim ran. You raised a good son. <laughs> good job. <laughs> Thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, hell. I mean, not many people get to raise a proper single-hander. That's true, but you know, every once in a while, I think, after I did a trip around the world, there's a little jealousy behind those eyes sometimes. <laughs> well, of course there is. You well, rub it in every chance you get. Every <laughs> chance you get. <laughs> like, oh, yeah? Yeah, right. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I, and next time, we got to figure out what you're doing next. Yeah, I know. So we I never know. even we'll, got we'll to that shit. We'll have to get into that. I'm, yeah. I'm trying except to figure going that to Greenland, out, man. Except going to Greenland and lowering a probe a ridiculous amount of times in a row. I know. Dude, it's I, so gorgeous up there. Dude, it's fucking gorgeous. Beautiful icebergs and glaciers. and It's, it's gorgeous. I, what I'm at right now Insane is... Insane mountains. You know how when... What are you, you going to do? What are you going to do? Work at a boat yard? I, well, As opposed to looking at the, like, the most glorious raw I, nature on planet Earth <laughs> while doing science I, and, I and am, all that uh, shit? I'm desperately trying to find that burning desire for the next thing to do. You know, you know that feeling where you're like, that's what I have to do. Yeah, yeah. You know it well. I know it well. I don't have it right now, and I need to find it. It's a gift and a curse. I know it is. But I <laughs> honestly, I believe life is so much better when you have that absolute goal, that challenge that you've got to take on, and that goal you have to reach because it gives everything in your life a purpose. And But you got to find it, and it's got to be an honest one because if you're, you know, you can't lie to yourself when it comes down to that. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm trying you, to figure you that get, out. You could get married and have like five kids. And a mortgage. 
You know what? I was actually I was thinking about that the other night, right? And when when you know, you guys like you and I have been technically irresponsible with our time, not focusing on like a career right from the get go, so that we're secure and safe in our old age. We've focused on trying to enjoy and have these experiences, so that when we're old, we don't look back and question like, mm-hmm. oh, geez. Well. You know, now we could go and get jobs, normal jobs, because we never have to wonder what it would have been like if I would have chose to go around the world. No, we don't have right? to worry. We really don't have to worry about it at all because there are old men and there are bold men, but there are not old, bold men. We ain't going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we got it. We got a date with Davy Jones locker. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Who knows? Yeah, you know, of course. Although I was pretty close on this last one, so we'll have to start Hey, man, soon. acceptance is important. I know. Hey, it took it took me a while. It took me over two weeks before I could look at the footage from this last trip. No, that sounds that fucking brutal, so, man. Whoa. It sounds brutal. When it, it really happened scary. early on like that, that's just yeah. It's I just, know. Uh, but hey, yeah. hey, well, it's a it's it's a testament to uh, the wind opposing the current. Yeah, and that is that is Don't one of the most it. dangerous situations you can possibly have. There was a giant catamaran in a boat show that 10 days ago sunk, and they got rescued in a life raft because they went on the Gulf Stream in Nor'easter. The year before, Beneteau 60 went out there. Same thing. Blew out oh, of the I north. remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got ripped off like the rudder and the mat. Now it's uh-huh. a Beneteau 60, so Beneteau's, it doesn't take much to rip off the, the rudder and the <laughs> mast on them. Now, now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but anyways, yeah, this, uh, yeah, you, you, you got to be, you know, you got to, you got to, the, the ocean is a, is a, is an interesting place because it's always going to be so much more powerful than you are. And there is no, uh-huh. you know, maybe somebody could walk on top of a mountain and be like, I conquered this mountain, which of course you didn't conquer the mountain. No, the mountain's but still there. Yeah, yeah. But there, there's no, the ocean can be flat, calm one day and mountains the next, mm-hmm. you know, and they avalanche, you know, when they, when they want to. And but, it'll uh, outlast any boat. And the ocean will always be in control. Yep. And, and you never can, the best thing I think you can do in the ocean is coexist. Coexist is like the the peak of the highest form that you can do in the ocean. Yep. You, you know, you'll never beat it. You never conquer it. You're always a weakling. You're a tiny little speck uh, compared to its raw power. But if you can coexist and find a way to do it, then you can sail anywhere. I don't think you're gonna have any trouble finishing this book when you talk. Like yeah, but that, I don't so. fucking. I, I, I write like it's shit, recorded. It's well. recorded. There we go. You <laughs> just record the audio version. <laughs> yeah. All right, Matt. Well, I've bothered you enough, man. Thank you so much yeah, for man. coming well, on the show. It's, it's about I'll, time. It's about. It's I know. About damn I know. time. And it's not the first. We'll definitely. I feel like you and I could sit down, and bang out a couple three-hour podcasts pretty easily. And if we had like, yeah, if you weren't subjects. driving somewhere, I'd get you some proper booze. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. You, know. you got to be all careful. I've been. I've been polishing this bottle. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the hospitality. Yep. Thanks for the uh, the great stories and everything. And, yeah, and definitely, sure. I will, anytime I'm out on the East Coast or we're in the same place, we'll have to sit down again. And who knows what the future will hold? I'll just say that. Yeah, man. Who knows? See you in Greenland. <laughs> <laughs>